How you doing, wrestling fans? Welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. And today's show, will cover the original broadcast of Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which aired on 1240 AM WGBB in West Babylon, New York, originally airing in November 1991. Joining me, as always, my co-host, the former managing editor for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, and other newsstand magazines all those years ago, former executive editor of WCW Magazine, writer, great guy, musician, what else can I say? Bob Smith. Bob, how you doing? I am just peachy John. I'm glad to be back here and um, very excited about the reaction to our previous shows. Everything is going quite swimmingly, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'll give an update in a second, but I am so elated over everything that's gone on. And uh, I think that's because of the fine work by Alex Robertson up in Canada. Alex, how are you tonight? Oh, John, you're too kind. I'm good. How are you guys? Awesome. Things are great, man. I mean, like, it's just like I'm so happy. I have to thank everybody, first uh, first of all, for listening to the show, uh, making it one of the top 10 pro wrestling podcasts in America uh, and listened to not just here in the USA, but several countries around the world. We've gotten, uh, you know, we've we've charted, as they say in the music business, but we've charted on so many uh, top tens uh, around the world. Uh, but the fact, when I saw us peak at number eight this week on uh, the United States uh, Wrestling Podcast, that really surprised me. Um, and I'm sure, Bob, you know, when you took a look at it and Alex, you have access to it as well. It's just, uh, I have to just, just say we're doing a good job so far. I couldn't be happier. I, I'm just happy that people are happy with the show. You know, that that's the whole idea of these things is that, you know, we can say the show is this or that, but as, unless people are into it, it really doesn't mean anything. And from what I'm picking up, even with in-person uh, meetings I'm having with people that I know, they're all listening and they all enjoy it. Even a couple of non-wrestling fans found a couple of the shows to be really interesting. So I'm I'm really thrilled with the reaction from just about everybody I know. Yeah, we are, um, you know, we're really having fun with it. And uh, here we are at episode five already. I mean, time flies when you're having fun. But uh, <laughs> looking at the analytics, which I'm, I, I really do every single day now, I mean, we're really, we're now uh, being heard in 22 countries. Uh, you know, even Qatar and Belgium, Romania, Spain, Norway, El Salvador, Mexico, India, Malta. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Australia, we have a good audience there. Uh, Canada as well, Alex. I mean, we got a lot of Canadians up there. Uh, 4% of our audience so far, which is uh, growing. And we moved up the charts in Canada today. I mean, we went up to, I believe, number 18. Uh, in the Can uh, Canadian rankings for pro wrestling podcast. And it's kind of good when you see uh, ad free shows and Conrad Thompson and the great work that he does when they have uh, six of the top 12 shows and we're right there in the middle of it. So uh, it's kind of cool. And the United Kingdom is kicking, but uh, we're getting, uh, you know, 10% of our audience there. And of course, 79% right here in the U.S. Uh, we have over 30 podcast platforms you can catch us on. If you listen, obviously, to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, so many more, Roku, Amazon Alexa, uh, iTunes. Uh, and we will also be on 
uh, Odyssey, which Bob, you know, you being a media guy too, I mean, Odyssey is uh, is a huge platform, and we were accepted, and that's and our show should be listed there uh, within the next week week or so. I'm looking forward to that. And I've been listening on Google Podcasts as well. There you go, and that's on the list here too. Google Podcasts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So uh, the thing is doing what I hoped it would do. And, and it's uh, all about everybody out there that uh, has supported the show and has shared the links for the show. And of course it's, uh, really gratifying to, uh, be able to grow the Patreon audience. And we're doing that. We did that this week as well. I just want to remind everybody out there that, uh, the patron account does help fund the production of the show. Uh, you do get the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show. All the original, uncut, unedited shows are there. You also have access to this podcast several days before it's released uh, out there internationally. And right now, patrons get the new podcast on Sundays, a full five days before the show is released to all the podcast platforms. And it's without commercials. So for $5 a month, you have access to both the archives and the podcast. And there's other tiers if you want bonus audio, video clips. Uh, Today I was in the box again with the cassette tapes, and I pulled out some amazing stuff. So uh, patrons, uh, get ready. You're going to hear some really cool stuff. Uh, That's patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And for patrons, if you're in that category, you get to see the videos I am. Uh, posted the uh, a very rare AAA Lucha Libre show I pro- co-promoted at the Olympic Auditorium in 1995. And also, all the October and November shows are up on Patreon, uh, new uploads weekly. And I do want to say hello to some of the patrons, uh, Josh Harveth from Indiana, uh, Dave Claroni from Maine, Anthony Pyrus from East Providence, Rhode Island, uh, also, Jared Hawkins from Bristolville, Ohio. Rowan Smith from the small town of Yea in Victoria, Australia. And we actually got to meet him this week on one of our uh, video chats. Which yes, we did. What, a, what an enjoyable time that was. Wasn't he great? He, I thought he was awesome. Yeah, he was very, very happy to jump on and, and say hello to us, uh, as so many other people did. Uh, also, uh, before I forget, I want to thank Vic Condor from Germany, Jay Baca from Portland, Oregon, Richard Williams from Pleasantville, New York, and he was on that co- uh, video chat as well, mm-hmm. uh, Kayvon Bayron from Oakland, California, DJ Danielson from Hugo, Minnesota, and as always, a special thank you to our executive producer tier member, Jeremy Priest. And a quick update on our taping schedule and plans with this episode we are now caught up uh covering pro wrestling spotlight through november 1991 on next week's program our thanksgiving weekend special we're going to cover some of the episodes not covered yet uh since we left the arcadian vanguard uh network so it's kind of a lost episodes show and in two weeks on december 3rd We will go back 30 years to the week of the original broadcast of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight in December, shaping up to be a great month. Uh, So that's where I wanted to be when we started this show. And uh, I'd like to make the announcement that uh, our old friend Donnie Leibel will be joining us beginning uh, in those December shows uh, for the new segment, the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Time Capsule. So, uh, Bob, I think uh, let's go right into it. 
November 1991, uh, we have an exciting show for everybody. Yes, this one's a little different. It, it's going to have an entirely different flavor than our previous shows, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, right, this is from November 11th, and it show features a guest appearance by Alex Marvez, who is still in the wrestling scene, as you know, John. AEW uh, backstage announcer, and Alex worked for so many years uh, for the Miami Herald, and uh, really, really good guy. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. I remember being at the Meadowlands when I can't remember the year, but it's the year that uh, Ric Flair took the title back from Sting. It must have been around right around the time period we're talking about. And back then, the assembled media was me, after, and two other guys. Now, you know, Forbes has a wrestling writer. This publication has a wrestling writer this website that you wouldn't expect as a wrestling writer but back then back in the early 90s the time period it was very rare for a major newspaper to have a wrestling writer that's very true i mean there was a guy called the slammer hank winnick i believe for the daily news in new york he did mm -hmm. that weekly column but uh, you know real journalistic uh, wrestling writers were few and far between and now like you said it seems like everybody has one it's amazing how th times have changed in that regard. I don't know if wrestling is really bigger than it was back then, but it's, co it's certainly covered more now. You know, yeah. it, it's amazing how many mainstream publications cover it as part of part of the scene. That's one thing that's really changed since the days these shows were taped, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, with, uh, you know, everything that's going on in wrestling, and I believe, you know, wrestling's so hot everywhere. I mean, even that uh, TV network Stars had that show Heels, I don't know if anyone had seen it yet. Alex, have you seen Stars uh, yet? Yeah, I haven't finished the first season, but I, I think I watched the first three episodes. Is it a good? It's a good show, from what I heard. I haven't seen it yet myself. I mean, like it's a pretty decent show. It's got it's got some pretty you know big name stars in there, like you know people that I've seen in other uh, series and stuff. So mm -hmm. I think the story is also really good. I think it's. It's kind of on the realism side, too, which is what I like about it. But, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely check it out, especially if you're into wrestling, because you're definitely going to know what's going on. Yeah, because I, I got a text today from a guy who uh, works for Discovery Plus, uh, one of the top executives there. And he uh, found out that they were renewed for a second season. So it's it's doing well. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I like I said, I haven't watched the last couple of episodes yet, but you can see where it's going. Like, it builds really well, so the fact that it just got renewed really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, wrestling is hot, and these shows like A&E's Biography and Dark Side of the Ring, uh, and, and there's, there is uh, an audience. And, Bob, of course, for what we do here, there's an audience, and we know that by looking at the numbers. Oh, absolutely. Well, look at the success of the Glow series on Netflix. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was massive. Those yeah, huge, I mean that was a series. huge hit, and that attracted non wrestling fans by the you know bushel basketball. I mean, yeah. you didn't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy that because it it was a humorous aspect to the show, and yeah. uh, you know, great. You know, it's it's great to see things progressing in a positive way. People can be very cynical about wrestling in these times, but um, it's nice to see people are still enjoying it in various formats. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a, a, there's a lot of interest right now when it comes to uh, various wrestling programming, not just the big two, uh, WWE and AEW, but uh, 
there's there's interest and there's special shows and the ratings are there and the demographic i mean the demographic is uh is a sweet spot for national advertisers so uh we can only look ahead to 2022 and hope um, all of this interest in the business continues but i know one thing what we do here there is an audience because there's a lot of people that uh have never heard pro wrestling spotlight from 30 years ago. And they, and they're, they get really excited when the show is released because they're able to hear some of the biggest names in the history of the business who uh, became a guest for this, uh, this program that, um, that we aired 30 years ago. Well, you know, that's what I'm hearing from people too. On, you know, our previous episodes, I'm getting a lot of feedback on Jesse Ventura's appearance on hearing from uh, superstar Billy Graham a few times, uh, people miss these guys in the yeah. ring. And uh, I, I think this kind of brings them back to when they were active competitors and people love nostalgia. I know at my age, you know, I'm older than many types of soil at this point um, that I'm a very nostalgic person. I, I'm really looking back with fondness, you know, at the time the original pro wrestling spotlight was on and at my old job. You know, I I, yeah. I never wanted to leave my old job. It was one of those things where I kind of got cosmically screwed out of my career there. But by the same token, I don't regret what happened to me since. So everything's fine. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, the old times were good times. And I think a lot of people want to relive them once again. Yeah. And uh, going back and reviewing these shows, I mean, November of 1991 was an interesting uh, month for us because we weren't on for the entire month yeah you know i'm gonna have to have you explain this to me because i didn't hear these original shows and i i did go through them for our our recaps here but looking back what what was happening at that time it was an amazing thing to me because the show was never hotter but but you had to pay for it every week and um you know we were in a situation where uh, you know, the station was owed money. Uh, we weren't able to bring on the sponsors to cover the cost. That's why I was always hawking booster club and anything that I can get my hands on the cell on the air and, and, uh, uh, convince advertisers to give us a shot. It was difficult. So, uh, this particular month, uh, I always, and I hated to be the boy who cried wolf years ago, but, uh, it, it hit us this time because we didn't have the money to do two shows uh, in November. Uh, and then it was all resolved when the station decided to extend some credit to the show. Uh, but we were we were fast approaching the end of our era at WGBB, as people will listen to in December when we get to that, uh, when we uh, have our last show there the last show in 1991, and then Vince Russo and I go to WEVD in New York City. dum de dum dum <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> that's uh, that's definitely... Uh, look, we should look get a sound did, effect for Connor, that. Look what you did. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I was uh, downloading uh, some of the December shows uh, today, uploading them, whatever, and, uh, and there it is. There's Vince Russo now on every episode beginning December. Vinny, I call them Vinny, Vinny Rue. Okay, no. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, so anyway, let's uh, let's get into it. Um, uh, I guess the first uh, uh, the first well, stuff we're going to cover is uh, not the full month, but tell us what we got, Bob. Well, the first clip is uh, 
it's the first show in a couple of weeks at that point. You are actually off for one week, is if I'm hearing this correctly. Is that right? That is correct. So here you, you're going to come back now, and you're going to discuss what's been going on, and we'll go to that clip right now. I uh, got the okay to go back on the air for this week uh, about 10.30 this morning, so um, even my producer, Vinny, I left a message for him at his other place of employment, so if he's listening, maybe he'll stop by and uh, we could uh, get this stuff going here. But uh, how you doing, wrestling fans? This is John Arezzi for Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and it indeed has been uh, very, very heartwarming for me, uh, especially uh, from 12 o'clock on uh, last Sunday when this program did not air. All the cards and the phone calls and the letters and uh, the support that I received from all of you wrestling fans out there. And, yeah, that uh, comes from the heart, that applause to everybody out there that certainly uh, wondered what happened to the program. Uh, it's kind of like, I would guess, uh, over the last several weeks, I've talked to everyone about the financial difficulties in uh, maintaining a program like this. And it was almost like the boy who cried wolf where each week, well, this could be our last week, this week could be our last week, and finally last week we weren't here. And uh, believe me, uh, it hurt me just as much as everybody out there that wanted to get their latest inside wrestling information right here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And, of course, it made a number of people happy, uh, those who sit up in their ivory towers and uh, promote professional wrestling. Uh, these are the people who don't want Pro Wrestling Spotlight on the air because we tell it like it is, and we've always told it like it is uh, for the last two and a half years. Uh, I want people to remember that back then, when this show was originally broadcasted that John's talking about, people had to send cards and letters to you know get in touch with people. No email, <laughs> no internet, cards and letters, like within the, the framework of a week from when you were off to get to when you returned to the show. That's how long ago this was, sports fans. Yeah, there was no uh, immediate search engine if you had a question. <laughs> there was nothing like it. I mean, we really relied on the telephone. We relied on people sending cards and letters. Uh, so, I mean, it was uh, a, a different time, but we are uh, extremely we – extreme, we were extremely happy to get back on the air back then. I'm sure you were. And uh, it, you're coming at a period where you had – Virtually every significant wrestling writer in America on your show within a within a month span, and in this case, in this show, you've got two. And the first one, as we spoke about earlier, is uh, Alex Marvez. Yeah, Alex uh, is somebody that I got to know fairly well. I got to meet him in New York when he had come up for some of the shows, and and uh, he was a he was a hard hitting journalist back then. Not only with his column. Uh, with the Miami Herald, but uh, he was um, he was one of the top guys back then. A lot of people respected him uh, for everything he did. And of course, Alex has gone on to have a uh, just a pretty amazing career as a sports reporter, writer, and now he's with uh, AEW. Yes, he also uh, is an NFL guy for Sirius XM Radio. Yes, still to this day, I think. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's quite a career. So why don't we listen to Alex, because he's going to uh, pick up the ball on the steroid information that uh, was going on at that point, and you were you know, such a big hand in, John. Well, yeah, let's uh, let Alex uh, join us from 30 years ago. 
You know, Alex, you, I don't know how many years you followed the business, but of course uh, it's changed so much uh, since I first started watching it. Uh, there would never have been a show like this one or columns that appear in Miami Herald uh, if the wrestling business did not change and pretty much expose itself over the last uh, last 10 years. Yeah, it, it's um, interesting how wrestling's evolved and how the promoters have stayed in the dark ages. Instead of, instead of going along with um, wrestling columnists, wrestling radio shows, and, and just agreeing to things, like if there's a, a, a wrestler who's being advertised for a show and he's not going to appear, change your advertising. Instead, um, promotions seem to think that, well, they're going to do their business their own way and no one's going to force them to change anything. Yeah. So a lot of promoters, they want it one way. They want to, you know, have their cake and eat it too. And, you know, it, it's really interesting. And that's the good thing about your radio show and about my column in the Herald, not so much me, but my column, is that I can get out information to people about things that have been changed, about lies that are being put forth put forth by promotions about the steroid problem in wrestling and, and i mean this is a great venue for it and yes this wasn't even conceivable 10 years ago let alone you know seven eight years ago right uh it certainly changed that the, the biggest uh wrestling story of this year i would have to say has been the uh, uh the steroid issue and a lot of people uh, i've heard comments well you, you you harp on the steroid issue uh too much you know why don't you take uh the show with a lighthearted approach and, and you know you reported on that once before why keep harping on it well keep harping on it because uh, nothing's been done in the wrestling business about changing uh, or or even uh, I don't even think there's been a drug testing yet for steroids in wrestling no there hasn't there hasn't been a world wrestling federation steroid test there hasn't been a world championship wrestling steroid test it's um, and even the world wrestling federation's drug testing policy is an in-house policy I mean, you know, none of the results are ever made public, and who knows who fails, who knows who doesn't. There have been suspensions issued, but I talked to a World Championship Wrestling employee um, after my story came out, and he compared it to the tree falling in the woods. Yeah. You know, what difference does it make if no one hears it? Yep. But um, what promoters don't understand is that there's going to be an incredible backlash against uh, steroid use and abuse within the next few years if they don't clean up their own act. And um, they can continue to try to ignore it. They can continue to try to be ignorant, but it's not going to go away. And I I haven't had the uh, uh, I haven't had the luxury of, of reading the entire piece uh, that was uh, published in the Miami Herald this week. And uh, for our listeners out there, I know it was picked up on the AP uh, wire services, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it got any coverage here in the New York area. I think uh, your, the timing uh, for your particular story might have been. Uh, a little bad here uh, due to the fact that Robert Maxwell, the publisher of the Daily News, uh, died unexpectedly this week, and uh, the paper focused an awful uh, amount of space to covering his death. And then, of course, the tragic situation of Magic Johnson also uh, dominated not only the sports pages but the major headlines this week. So uh, a story focusing around... Uh, the story that you published in the Miami Herald that was picked up on the AP services may have not been printed in a number of the newspapers uh, in the metropolitan area, especially um, here in New York. Yeah, but I believe um, Phil Mushnick's going to be doing a piece, and Phil seems to be the only um, New York, the only person in the New York media beside yourself and a couple others that don't want to let this story get away, mm -hmm. and that don't, and and that have not just ignored. Like you remember in July there was a big boom of papers. Yeah, let's do a steroid story. Let's do a steroid story. Yeah. And everyone went out. They wrote these steroid stories. Vince McMahon got pressured into announcing a steroid test. What's well, November? There's no steroid test, and where's the New York media? They're not doing anything. About the only guy that would do something is Mushnick, and and that's it. And it's not a personal vendetta against Vince McMahon, like some people in the World Wrestling Federation seem to think. I mean, he just he realizes that this is a problem. That this is entertainment being portrayed to children around guys who take steroids, who take an illegal drug, 
and, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're uh, Muchnick, of course, here, if he comes out with a piece, uh, obviously it's going to get a lot of attention. Uh, the last time Phil ran a piece, uh, it was regarding uh, the uh, Vince McMahon press conference here, and uh, that certainly opened up uh, uh, the invitation uh, to visit the Titan Sports offices, which took place a little after that. So Phil, uh, Phil has read it. Obviously, it's in a major newspaper, so it will get uh, it will get a lot of attention. Oh, this this isn't a story, John. I think you know that isn't that is going to go away. I mean, over the next five years, um, I'm going to keep writing about this, and I know other writers are also that there is a steroid problem, and as more wrestlers suffer health problems, as the, as more wrestlers get arrested with steroids, such was the case with Tom Zank. As, as more wrestlers, you know, run into problems with this type of thing and promotions run into problems and advertisers start turning off and kids' parents start realizing, hey, these guys are, are doing illegal things, well, don't watch this stuff. Only when the TVs turn off and only when there's some sort of regulation or government involvement is this, is this situation going to be cleared up. Mm-hmm. For those out there who uh, didn't get a chance to see the wire service article or the Miami Herald, uh, can you give us a synopsis on... Uh, what actually was published uh, in the Miami Herald written by you this past week? I sure can. I wrote a story in the uh, state the uh, state of Florida is, um, looking into uh, regulating professional wrestling in Florida. New York, as you know, has regulation, as do 23 other states in the District of Columbia. Um, this was, was really brought on by the steroid revelations from the George Zahorian trial. Zahorian was the... Um, a Pennsylvania osteopath who was convicted on eight counts of distributing steroids to wrestlers um, in the late 1980s. Now, I received a Federal Express transcript of the wrestlers on that list, and there were 39 wrestlers um, on that list. And you talk about names that received packages from Zahorian, and we're not sure what was in these packages exactly before I, I read this list. But, I mean, you've got Jake Roberts, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, Hulk Hogan, Ken Patera, Don Morocco, Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine, Eddie Gilbert, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, The Ultimate Warrior, Hercules, Junkyard Dog, Virgil, Paul Orndorff, Bob Orton Jr., Randy Savage, Rick Rude, and The Big Boss Man. You've also got a amount of drugs. The, the reason that you could suspect they're steroids, now I'm not saying that they did take them, but there was a chart presented by the government in the Zahorian trial, a comparison of the drugs purchased by Zahorian and the amount provided to patients um, for the period of September 1988 to March 1990. Out of steroids, he had a drug called Anivar, which is a steroid. He purchased 8,500 tablets and distributed 330 to patients. Methyl testosterone, another common steroid. He purchased 28,000 tablets, provided only 230 to patients. And the rest of the chart is similar. The same thing with sedaminophenes and sedatives, like Valium. He, he prescribed, he asked for 7,000 tablets of Valium, he prescribed 20 to patients. That's incredible. Oh, the, the drug discrepancy is incredible with Zahorian. And um, the World Wrestling Federation's top stars receive these packages. I pointed that out. I explained how Hogan received packages. He wouldn't return phone calls. Okay, but as far as... <clears throat> These packages were sent Federal Express by Zaharian to these individuals. Uh, once again, uh, there's no proof, uh, per se, what was in the contents of these Federal Express packages. You're absolutely right. There was no proof. The only thing that we know is that the four wrestlers who received, four of the wrestlers who received Federal Express packages, Brian Blair, Danny Spivey, Roddy Piper, and Rick Martell, all testified that they received steroids from Zahorian. Also, um, Zahorian said that he, gave, he sent steroids to Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, and Lord Alfred Hayes. When I asked Zahorian about whether he um, prescribed steroids to, when he, whether he sent steroids to Hogan, he said, what do you think? 
So it was already elaborated on in testimony. Um, but he very he pointed out that some of the packages that he sent to the World Wrestling Federation, he sent 13 packages totaling 36 pounds. He said he never sent a steroid to the World Wrestling Federation. He said that he sent back merchandise and other medicine. Okay. I, I don't know what type of medicine exactly. I haven't been able to speak to him further. But he seemed willing to talk, and over the next week I'm going to have a chance to talk to him. It's just been real busy because I cover the University of Florida football team also, and I've been traveling across the country following the Gators, and it's been crazy. Yeah, it sounds as though you've been keeping a very hectic schedule. Now, with Saharian, uh, his sentencing uh, is scheduled to be coming up soon, isn't it? Yeah, and he's going to appeal, too, and I think he's got a decent shot of um, having a retrial. And if he does, um, you're not going to see Hulk Hogan escape a subpoena like he did in the Zahorian trial. I think you're really going to see the World Wrestling Federation's top stars and maybe even owner Vince McMahon having to testify that they purchased steroids if they did that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to just revive the whole steroid thing because the media has gotten lax. Um, the New York media has gotten lax. It, it's a shame, too, because I can write a story in Miami, but if New York doesn't see it in a lot of ways, the World Wrestling Federation won't panic. Yeah. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's just the, the reality of the situation, even though the Herald's one of the top ten papers in the country. Well, it's been a story that uh, you've been following closely, and uh, a number of us have been in the business, but uh, uh, the story in the Herald uh, was termed, uh, put to me, it was pretty explosive, and I could see why with all the names uh, that you have listed that at least received packages, although we don't know what were in those packages, uh, you know, there's a number of names on that list. Uh, earlier this week... Uh, you covered the Florida State Legislator legislation it, meeting. On, it's, a committee, it's a committee on regulated industry. It's okay. comprised of about eleven representatives who look into the regulation of industries, and they met in Tallahassee to discuss professional wrestling and the possibilities of regulating it, why it should be regulated, and what would fall under regulation. Um, they looked at things. They, they discussed um, part of the proposal written by legislative analyst Janet Clark was that there is a, she pretty much wrote that there was a steroid problem in professional wrestling. She said she did, not, she did not propose legislation, but she said if legislation should be required and suggested, here's the guidelines that she followed. At that point, she presented a number of things that I, I found very, very interesting. Um, the most would be a 5% tax on professional wrestling in Florida. There would also be a tax on pay-per-view events emanating from the state of Florida. I mean, like being, just being shown or being purchased. Mm-hmm. So they could generate $7 million a year between live shows. Well, that's not true. Take that back. There are $7 million a year spent on pay-per-view wrestling and live shows in Florida. Okay? Yeah. People purchasing. They would tax about 5% of that. So they'd make, you know, enough money that they could, you know, fund two new members of the Boxing Commission, which is what they would do, and they would make enough money to steroid test the wrestlers and also administer random drug tests and random steroid tests. Um, part of the proposal says that wrestlers would, um, regu- you know, they would register with the state athletic commission. They would have, uh, they would obtain a license, and this way you have a list of everyone that you can steroid and drug test. There would also be mandatory health insurance, which they do not have in many, many, many states. And the World Wrestling Federation does not offer health in- health insurance to its wrestlers. There would be a performance bond required to be posted before you hold an event to make sure that the building doesn't get stiff. There would also be penalties against ad, uh, promoters who knowingly advertise wrestlers on shows that they know aren't going to be there. And that was a major point of discussion because the World Wrestling Federation had, had billed Sid Justice as appearing in shows throughout Florida, including Miami, for um, an extended period of time, three weeks before a show in Miami that they knew that Sid Justice was not going to be at. Um, they finally changed the card this weekend. 
Yeah, this weekend on Superstars of Wrestling, they finally acknowledged that Vicious will be out of Survivor Series. And I guess in the house shows uh, around the country now, they are acknowledging that Vicious will not be there. Well, you Justice see, that it's really frustrating, too. I can even think of a worse example, which is Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. Barry, they're, they're you know, showing matches of him on TV. They're saying that he's wrestling in excruciating pain, et cetera, et cetera, which is just an excuse that for, you know, when he doesn't show up at the house shows that he's advertised for. Yeah. Next weekend, they're going to announce that Barry sustained a broken wrist, um, and he's going to be out for about six months. The problem is that on Monday, I received a card for what's going to be in Perry, Florida, and um, there's still it was a card drawn up Monday, and they listed Barry Windham as appearing on that show. And uh, Barry's injury took place uh, before... Halloween Havoc. Right, it took place on the, oh boy, like the 25th or something. Yeah, I think it was that, that uh, Monday or Tuesday. Right, yeah, it was the 23rd, 21st, something along those lines. Yeah, so it, it's, you know, penalties against that. And the, the committee didn't really seem too interested in professional wrestling. I mean, you have your guffaws from, from those ignorant about the sport and, and, you know, those who don't care to learn about what professional wrestling is. But when you saw, they showed a videotape of, a, of an athlete having a needle injected into his leg with steroids that really perked up the eyes and when people saw a videotape presented of superstar billy graham and and what has happened to him over the years and the graduate and you know the degeneration of his body due to steroid use that really really perked up the commissioner's eyes and then came the testimony of mary lou gantner mary lou's son ed the bull gantner wrestled in championship wrestling from florida for two years and um he committed suicide last New Year's Eve, um, partially due to the psychological trauma induced by steroids and all the medication he was taking. And she explained how he continued to take steroids no matter what. He even had to have a kidney replaced because they destroyed his kidneys. When he broke into wrestling, he only had 20% use of his kidneys. And even with one kidney donated by his older sister, he continued to take steroids because he was so psychologically addicted. And it, it's scary. It's really, really scary that the effect the drug can have on, on people and the psychological addiction. Hmm. I understand there was also uh, Dave Meltzer. Who, uh, Dave, Dave Meltzer spoke. Um, yeah. He came on later in the committee meeting, and to be honest with you, um, there was a speaker before him from the Florida High School Athletic Association who really didn't have say anything that had to do with pro wrestling. He just talked that there was a steroid problem in high schools and said that it was impossible to test with their funding. And then Dave came on, and, and he, in the rushed amount of time that he had, he explained that, you know, false advertising is very prevalent and why it sh- there should be a committee to regulate and about steroid use and, and, you know, how widespread that is and that that's become the basis for promoting a wrestler in certain federations um, instead of ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand there was one other wrestling personality there. Uh, uh, Bob, Bob Roop was Bob there. Bob Roop, there was a uh, former... Uh, as far as amateur, a, a great wrestler, from what I understand. A, a Greco-Roman wrestler, as William right. Soley would okay. say, right? Greco-Roman, right. Um, Roop um, wrestled in the Olympics. He's a 19-year pro. He came out mainly in favor of, um, like, a retirement fund for older wrestlers. Boy, I wish there was one for these guys. Uh, uh, well, if they wanted to unionize, and, and you know, instead of... You know how that goes. I mean, that's a whole other subject altogether. Yeah, it that's would the same thing in, in boxing as well. There's no, uh, there's no pension fund. There's no. I watched that uh, PBS show on Don King this past week. And right. A lot of revelations uh, about the seedy world of pro boxing, and if you look at uh, seediness, I guess uh, one step even below that is pro wrestling and their promoters. Yeah, really, and it's a shame that um, professional wrestlers haven't gotten bright enough to just say, "Hey, we can unionize, and we can ask for a list of demands, and we can ask for health insurance." And we can ask for a certain compensation when, when we're injured. 
and when you're old, you establish a fund. But there's just so many, so many people, um, you know, that, that seem to backbite each other yeah. in the wrestling business. And you're only talking about 200 active pro wrestlers in the United States anyway, mm-hmm. many of whom drift in and out, many of whom aren't reliable. And you've got bad wrestlers, too, like a guy who's wrestled sporadically two, three matches a year for, you know, for 10 years, and he wants to get in a part of his pension. You know, it, it's just so hard to, to comprehend. That's why Sergeant Slaughter had to leave the World Wrestling Federation back in 1985 for trying to unionize the wrestlers. And that's what Roop came out in favor of. It, it really, the commission wasn't interested, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, Chris Qualman spoke also. He's the attorney for the Orlando-based International Wrestling Federation. Chris explained he was against regulation. He said that there's no need to tax wrestling promoters because they would likely pull out of the state of Florida, and it would hurt it would hurt the wrestling industry, and it would thus hurt the public because there wouldn't be as many jobs available. He explained that there are rules already on the books that prevent a lot of the things that, um, that were talked about, that there are laws against false advertising, that you can complain and file a lawsuit. He explained that there are laws against steroids, that it's illegal to control, you know, contain a controlled substance like steroids, and that why should wrestling promoters be taxed for laws that are already in existence. Well, are there any representatives uh, at this m- meeting uh, by uh, on the World Championship Wrestling or Titan Sports? Did they have any representatives there? No, they did not. They will be sending representatives, I believe, for the December 10th meeting in Tallahassee. That's when a subcommittee will meet. The, uh, the, rec- the proposal will be presented as a bill. Then that bill will be discussed. If they decide to pass the bill, they will go to um, the legislature. And the legislature will vote in January, the Florida legislature. And that's when it can, you know, after um, the governor signs, the governor Lawton Childs, then it could become a law. Um, and they'll discuss it on the 10th. That's how it goes. And that's when they'll be sending representatives and or lobbyists mm-hmm. to the meetings. It was interesting. It just mainly served that it showed me that there were some representatives who were very bright and who cared, and there were some that didn't. I don't know what the chances are of it passing, because I believe that the wrestling promoters are going to say that they can police themselves. Right. And they, in a lot of ways, they have a good point. I think the World Wrestling Federation has come a long way in cleaning up a lot of their act, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean I'm not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't pain me to compliment them. They do some things that are very good. Usually they are good about changing advertising. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, in some ways, trying to police themselves. I mean, yes, there is a steroid problem in the World Wrestling Federation. I don't think anyone there is going to try to deny that. But they've been able to clean up a, a major drug problem in a way. Yeah, yeah, they have. You know, so, I mean, they, in a way, they have a point. But unfortunately, they have that middle W in their name that says wrestling, right? Yeah. And they're not sports entertainment, as they like to call themselves. I mean, that's a sham. They are pro wrestling. What they promote is wrestling. And they fall into the same genre as World Championship Wrestling and some of the other smaller promotions across this country. Well, they are competing, uh, not competing per se, but they are inside a ring. And uh, so they are wrestling. Yep. So it's not exactly like it's the ice capades, even though it's something they would want you to believe sometimes. Yeah, that, that's WWF, how they try to present it. I mean, it's, it's, and a lot of times they want, they want one thing and then they want another thing. Um, you know, they want to be regarded as sports entertainment, but they also want to be regarded as sport. Yep. I mean, they, they just, you know, it depends on the situation. At least that's the feeling I've gotten from speaking to certain employees there. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's their company, and they only want what's best for it. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the chances are of regulation passing. But it's a very interesting subject, and even if it doesn't pass, you know that the story's not going to go away. You know, for the next five years, John, and I know I'm hoping, praying that you're going to be on the air for the next five years at least, that you're going to be covering the same thing, and you're going to be having wrestlers on who have had health problems. They're going to tell you this is what steroids did. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known before I lost my liver. I wish I would have known before I lost a kidney. I wish I would have known before I can't walk in the morning. And that's what they're going to be telling you. And until people start clicking off their TVs or writing to sponsors or sponsors care, 
nothing's going to happen about it. Well, in the worst case scenario, you know, having some widows, uh, some uh, wrestlers that have passed away because of some of the side effects of steroids, uh, that would be the tragic situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you can't... Uh, you can't deny that there is a problem, and uh, we'll be covering it here as best we can at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and uh, I'm sure you'll do the same down there in Miami at the Miami Herald. Alex, as always, was really on top of things, and uh, this appearance, I think, really really shows what he was about and why he was one of the few people to have a wrestling column back then in a major newspaper. Yeah, that's correct, and he always uh, you know, investigated the facts. He, he had connections down there, especially when they were talking about the state of Florida, uh, thinking about regulating wrestling. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a very interesting segment with a guy who, uh, to this day, uh, I certainly respect everything that he did and, um, a good, 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 uh, good clip there, Bob. Yeah. You know, he's an interesting fellow. I, I, I have never met Alex. I don't even, you know, I've met everybody else. I think that's been on the show, but Alex was one of the few I never ran into or had any access to. So, it was nice to hear his background and well, he was really up on things at that point. I mean, there was so much going on and he was, he was on top of all of it and he had a huge uh, readership in he Miami did. at that point. Oh, he certainly did. And uh, I only got mad at Al. I got mad at Alex a couple of times. Um, uh, one of which was just, it was in the middle of the night. I think it was two or three in the morning and I get a call uh, and I pick it up because who calls you at three in the morning unless it's something dire, right? Yeah. And it's uh, Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, and Alex Marvez uh, walking the streets of Greenwich Village in New York. And I think Paulie did have a, a, a mobile phone at the time. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, hey, where, what are you doing? Why don't you come out and get some pizza with us? We're in Manhattan. I was like, are you guys freaking nuts? I mean, and I, I got a little pissed off. And then uh, with, when the Russo split happens, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, it, it I wasn't really happy with um, some of the coverage that he gave. And I guess we'll get into that next year when we cover all of that stuff right here. So we go from one journalist to another journalist and Wayne Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch, John. Yeah, Wade is uh, somebody that uh, to this day I keep in touch with. And a matter of fact, uh, on his uh, Pro Wrestling Torch VIP site, I, I did a, wow, it was about two and a half hour interview with him this past uh, week. And and it just uh, it was great to talk to him and Wade is still the same he's still a very busy guy, uh, but uh, he is what um, uh, he was a very young guy thirty years ago, yeah. Uh, and were uh, we all? Yeah, we were. But you know, he <laughs> was uh, he was really just coming into his own with the Pro Wrestling Torch uh, newsletter. It was always great to have Wade on the air with us. Yes, it was. So let's uh, get the introduction to this next uh, clip and let's play it. And uh, let's bring Wade on. How you doing, John? How you doing, Wade? I'm doing good. Yeah, well, we're here. You know, it uh, got the word at 10:30 this morning that uh, we will be on the air. So, well, I'm glad to hear it. I think, uh, as I always say, every time I'm on, it, and every time you're on my show, it's it's the best of its kind in the country, and uh, it's a privilege for the listeners to have it out there. I think uh, that I hope they do their part to keep it on. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I want to publicly thank you for the nice letter that you wrote this week to me and uh, made me feel real good and brightened up my week. Oh, well, great. Uh, and uh, took your time out of your busy schedule and uh, 
and I appreciate the letter. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in pro wrestling right now. We got callers on the line, and uh, uh, we lost a couple of them. The number to call here is 955-1240, area code 516. There is a couple of open lines. Wait, you mind hanging out with us and taking some calls with us? Sure, no problem. There's a lot of things happening in wrestling, and I guess we'll be talking about those in between calls. Let's go to Jim from Lindenhurst. Jim, you're next. How you doing? Okay. Haven't heard from you in a while. Is this uh, the Jim from uh, the uh, infamous Pauly Dangerously Hell situation? Yeah. What are you doing back in this area, Jim? I'm not. I'm in Florida as we speak. You're in Florida calling up here? Yep. Wow. So. Well, we appreciate that, that long-distance call here. Yep, I still keep my interest. I wish, you know, I could get it here, but because uh-huh. Jim Ross's show I personally don't like. <laughs> you have heard Jim Jim's show. Yes, many a time. Uh, he's more WCW-based than anything else. Well, he works for them. Yeah, but, he, you know, he doesn't like to cover anything else, you know, whether it be the GWF, the WWF. There's no coverage of it, really. Mm-hmm. Wait, have you heard uh, Have you heard Jim's show at all? Yeah, I have heard Jim's show, and I think I think that's to be expected from somebody who's on the payroll of, of WCW, and it's in the home base of Atlanta. I know Jim Ross is a similar, in a similar situation to you in that uh, the promotion, or Jim Ross, one of the two or both, pay for the time. Uh-huh. And it's, it's sort of, I mean, you could look at it as, as a combination 60-minute commercial for WCW trying to, uh, you know, uh, I think it covers, it's, it's somewhat of a journalistic approach, and it's also a commercial. I think it's a combination. Uh, I think that's understood, too, anytime that you hear a show. You know, anytime that you hear somebody hosting or guesting on a show that's affiliated, you're going to get that bias. That's true. Uh, John, I have a few questions for you. Go ahead, Jim. Okay, um, what's become of Kurt Henning? I know he's on primetime tomorrow night, but... Well, he's probably just visiting there, but he has been out with his back injury, and he's going to be out for uh, several more months. Um, do you think he'll still be a rule breaker when he comes back? Uh, I don't really know. I, I, I would assume he would be, depending on unless they're going to try to change his character. I guess we'll know when we see primetime Monday. All right, what's going on with the Ultimate Warrior? Wade, do you have any new information about him? He's going to be under contract, I believe, to the end of this month, and then legally he could go elsewhere. I know Jim Ross on his 900 number Saturday uh, alluded to the fact he brought up Ultimate Warrior's name again. Has anything new developed there? I haven't heard anything, but if there are talks, I'm sure that it's going to be kept secret. As far as talks with WCW and Ultimate Warrior, it's got to be kept secret simply because he's still under contract. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Th- I think if they are, to- if WCW is talking with him, they're going to keep that very much under wraps until his contract is up where they can then obviously openly discuss if they're negotiating with him. Um, yeah, what Ross said was that uh, he was the only, uh, uh, Rick Rude was the only person to have pinned the Ultimate Warrior in the WWF and um, possibly alluding to the fact that right, Paulie Dangerously was involved. Yeah. That's what I was figuring. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, I, would, I would not, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see WCW go after Ultimate Warrior, um, especially when you think about Jim Hurd's contract's coming up in January. Mm-hmm. They need a shot in the arm, and Ric Flair was a wrong kind of uh, shot in the arm for Jim Hurd. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that TBS is smart enough to uh, to look at the situation objectively and, and terminate Jim Hurd if that's necessary or keep him out if that's necessary. Um, but I think if, you know, if they were able to hire Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior and uh, say one or two other names before the end of the year, um, whether crowds went up or not, just the signings alone might be enough to say, for them to say, hey, okay, we'll give you another year. You know, you've, you've really got a boost with this new talent. See, this is another reason I'm loving this show, John. It, it jogs my memory about how we used to get our information. 900 numbers. Oh, yeah. People used to spend ungodly sums of money, like 249 a minute, 349 a minute, to listen to people talk about wrestling. And that was a big business in the wrestling industry for a while, these 900 numbers. Every federation had one. Independent journalists had them. You know, it, it's another way times have changed, and it, that that jogged my memory hearing that. 
Yeah, the 900 numbers were certainly prominent back then, and I'd call them myself uh, to get any inside information from reputable ones. And I had one uh, that was actually in the UK that we used to do about 100 calls a day over in the UK. So that was kind of crazy. But that was a good clip. And um, uh, Jim from Lindenhurst is a, a notorious figure. Uh, on the pro wrestling spotlight uh, in the early days at WNYG, he'd call in from a payphone because his mother wouldn't let him listen to the show. So each week he'd go to a payphone, put money in the payphone, and call us up. And a lot of times, him and a friend of his named Rock, Rock from Lindenhurst, uh, they'd call and prank the show. Uh, and then uh, when Paulie dangerously uh, came into the studio, Jim from Lindenhurst called from the payphone. And uh, when he said he called from a payphone, he goes, why are you calling from a payphone? He says, because my mother won't let me listen to this crap. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, get your mother on the phone. Get your, Go home and get your mother on the phone. And it was one of the best bits that ever took place at Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Our producer at the time, Bruce Jacobs, uh, Jim didn't get his mother, uh, but we uh, staged a call that Paul Lee didn't even know about that. It was actually Bruce Jacobs mother calling in saying how, why she hates pro wrestling. And that segment still to this day is one of the classic clips in the history of the program. Uh, Paul Lee just ranting and arguing with Jim from Lindenhurst mom that to this day, uh, people just love to hear back. And uh, so anyway, uh, I was surprised to get the call from Jim from Lindenhurst uh, and he was on his best behavior. Well, for once, yes. And, you know, I remember that Paulie dangerously just completely off the rails, completely off the rails. He usually was. But in this case, case, he was just going off on the mother character. And it was probably the funniest single episode of PWS, I think, you ever aired in the original version. It was really great. Totally, (laughs) totally one of the top 10. And then uh, when we're at GBB and Paulie was there. Jim called again and uh, they re you know reacquainted themselves and then ironically the telephone operator was uh breaking in to talk to Paul and there's a whole bit there as well so if you listen back to the archives I don't know the specific date of the show but that was another infamous call uh with uh, uh, a telephone connection with uh, Paul E and Jim from Lindenhurst tremendous stuff and I don't want to sound like a commercial but Patreon, right? Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. Get to hear all the archives there. Five bucks a month. Seriously, there are times when I need to jog my memory and I go and I listen to some of these shows. And uh, you never know what you're going to find, folks. There's there's humor. There's hard-hitting news. There's virtually everything there. And it's it's every show. And you can listen to it whenever you feel like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's just great to be able to have them all. And we have so much more to go. So, um I'm anxiously, uh, you know, I'm a little trepidatious and we'll get into that in the future about, you know, what happens, because this was really a fun period for the show. Uh, Not just the guests that we had on, but there was serious stuff. But really, when it it comes to 1992, it just takes a turn uh, between the sex scandals and my uh, breakup with Russo. And uh, it's just a lot of drama next year when we start uh, getting into the new year with the uh, 1992 coverage. There you go. And now I guess we'll get back to this appearance by Wade Keller. Wade Keller, excuse me. 
And he's talking about Joe Petticino's Global Wrestling Federation at this point. And it's a very short clip. Mm-hmm. And John, I have questions for you when the clip after the clip airs. Okay. So let's check let, it let's out. Let's hear what's going on with Global, which, if you fans remember, took over the Sportatorium, former home of the Van Ericks. Mm-hmm. So let's see what's going on. Wade, now there's been a lot of talk over the last week, week and a half, about the status of uh, Global. Uh, what have you heard recently? We heard that they're really having serious financial problems. They can't live up to the recent contracts, guaranteed contracts they've signed with some of their performers. Um, can you give us an update on what's happening with Joe Petticino's Global Wrestling Federation? I, I, I talked to Joe uh, for quite a, quite a while uh, last Sunday, and Joe always has a very uh, convenient way of putting things or very... Uh, you know, he's very good at stating things in, in the way that will look best for the promotion, and that's always got to be understood. His side of the story is that there were 50% owner was Max Andrews Entertainment. The other 50 was him and especially a couple of their partners who apparently sold some la- land in Atlanta to fund the GWF. Mm-hmm. The part of the people who were from Atlanta, who had some land in Atlanta or the, the non-Max Andrews half has run out of money. That means the guaranteed contracts that they signed with Lightning Kid, Chris Walker, Scott Anthony and the Patriot all are nullified. They, Joe has basically walked in and said, sorry, guys, can't afford to pay you. I'm canceling this contract. I don't know if he legally can do that, but everybody pretty much realized they didn't have a choice. Yeah. In addition, so basically every, every wrestler in Global is now a free agent. They no longer are protecting wrestlers, which is a blow. I mean, it really takes them out of, the, out of a top three position and sort of moves them as kind of a far third, you know, I guess ESPN still, um, you know, because of their exposure would make them a major group. As far as promoting house shows, that's out the window. Uh, they're going to be strictly a TV promotion. Their pay-per-view, uh, the first pay-per-view scheduled for March, and Joe Pettacino explained his version is that it's coming to the end of the fiscal year. They're cutting back because they don't have the money to spend. They could go into debt, but they don't have that money. So they're going to cut back until the beginning of the year when Max Andrews supposedly is going to come up with more money. Thus, they can start flying the main event wrestlers in from across the country more often and push for the pay-per-view to uh, have you know, a good influx of, uh, of money again. Uh, but for right now, I don't think there's going to be a major difference on television. Uh, he's just going to, when he flies a wrestler in one week, he's just going to have him wrestle twice as often and fly in half as often. Mm-hmm. I think all of us were rooting for the GWF. Um, yes. it was, we all call it global. But at the time, I was working at PWI, and there were some stories floating around at the formation of Global. Uh, I was I was a friend of Joe Penicito. I really enjoyed him. I thought he was a great guy. But the tales of financial backing from the earliest mention of the Global Wrestling Federation sounded kind of pie in the sky, if you recall that period. Do, do you recall the original announcement of Global? Oh, I, I certainly did, and everyone was kind of really excited because Petosino said he had like a $35 billion investor from Nigeria, and they were starting this whole wrestling. And, and Joe Petosino was a credible guy in the business. He had been in it for a long time, and he actually used to host that big wrestling block with all those shows. And The most incredible night of wrestling in TV history. It was amazing. It was on Saturday nights. It was all night long. Alex, if you could imagine – Every single federation from around the country, including WWF, one show after another, after another, after another, literally up to six hours of wrestling every Saturday night from all around the country. There was nothing else like it, John. And I, I used to get the tapes. At PWI, there's a beautiful lady named Emmy Yates from Atlanta who you would who would tape the shows that he did in Atlanta and send them to us, and I'd have them five days later in the mail, and I would watch these tapes every week. People wondered, where, how do you know so much about all these independent federations? Well, 
Emmy Yates' tapes, the VHS tapes. I would watch them from beginning to end, and I, I knew everything because you couldn't learn more about wrestling than by watching all these shows consecutively. It was amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, he was a, he was a real wrestling guy. He had a great sense of the history of wrestling, and we were all excited to hear about the, the formation of this federation. And then it began, and we all went, it's the Sportatorium. And these are the USWA guys. And I don't see any difference between this and what they had on previously. And then Eddie Gilbert came in, who was great. He had great ideas. He knew how to push young talent. Um, and it didn't work because there were angles on the show that ESPN wouldn't let him show at the time. Like at one point he threw fire in somebody's face. Yeah, and they blocked it out. They wouldn't show it. They like cut to a, a a view of the audience or something like that. So it was trouble upon trouble in terms of the TV production, you know, regarding ESPN. And then they started losing talent left, right, and sideways. And yeah, I'm sure everybody, you everybody knew the money wasn't there. The money yeah. was not there, and the money never came. And and Petticino, I don't know if he sunk his own money into it, but uh, that was kind of a a big story that year that everyone was excited about it. And then it didn't happen. And the air went out of the bubble and uh, Joe Petticino wound up uh, with a lot of egg on his face, unfortunately. Yes, he did. And the show hung around for a while and got worse and worse and worse. At one point, one of the announcers got conked in the head and woke up and thought he was Elvis. <laughs> and he started to broadcast his Elvis Presley. I'm not even making this up. And he, oh, he dressed horrible. like Elvis and talked like Elvis. And they had a teenager there doing, you know, side reporting. And I mean, a little teenager, Brandon, somebody. Do you remember I don't this? No, I don't remember because I never, I, I never watched it. Oh no, I was a religious. Why I just watched it with my mouth hanging open every week because it it got so crazy and so desperate and. You know, you'd, you'd have John Tatum versus Billy Joe Travis main event or something like that. Not to say that that's bad, mm -hmm. but it certainly wasn't this lavish new worldwide promotion we were all hyped about. Well, uh, it was that year. I mean, there was a lot of uh, upstarts in 1991, uh, including a guy named Herb Abrams. Oh, gosh. You brought him up at just the right time. Here he comes to hijack another guest airtime, John. How did you deal with this every week? It was I getting mean, more, it was getting it was getting uh to the point where I didn't know what to do and blatantly just kind of go off on the guy on the air uh because he would call in randomly after I stopped doing business with him. He'd come on and I'd let him on because I want to promote wrestling. And even though I had personal issues with him uh, in regard to my uh, time working uh, for him, uh, but um, he was getting increasingly desperate and he kept calling in. And here's another one of those calls where he didn't arrange it in advance. He just called in. He just called in out of the blue. Now, I, I, I understand your quandary. You were damned if you did and damned if you didn't. Because, yes, he, he was a wrestling promoter, and particularly in our area where his show was on every week, you, you, you know, maybe he was going to come up with something important or something special. But most times he just rambled. He lied most times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you're nicer than I am about it. Yeah. I, 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 he would just go on and on about things that were totally unrelated to his promotion. Not to mention, you know, Buddy Rogers is going to do this and, you know, 
we signed this guy and we signed that guy. Did he ever actually sign a contract with anybody? I'm not so sure. I don't think there were any written contracts, although he said, uh, and, and who knows? He might have, who knows? But uh, he was always signing somebody new. Well, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but I think we should listen to this next clip where Herb Abrams once again makes it the Herb Abrams show, folks. Here we go. Got calls coming in like wildfire here. Let's get Wade Keller on the line. Wade, are you there? Sure am. And I'm going to bring Herb Abrams on. Herb. Jonathan, how are you? How you doing, Herb? Very happy to hear you're on the air. Are you really? Absolutely. Great. I heard, uh, heard that someone told me that you wanted to buy this time slot. You know, well, you and I spoke a few weeks back, and you had mentioned that uh, something uh, there was a bit of a problem there at the station, sure. and I suggested to you that if you wanted, that the UWF would uh, purchase the time and maybe make you one of the uh, alternate uh, every week. We'd have a different host. Maybe you would host it one week, and uh, Georgianne one week, uh, Captain Lou Albano one week, you know? Yeah, but... Uh, maybe a bit of a change, but uh, maybe a nice change. Well... I don't think it would be in, I don't know, it's up to my listeners to think if they would like a situation like that. I really don't know personally, but I've been doing my best and working my hardest to keep the show on the air. So um, I'm not I'm not into any corporate buyouts right now. <laughs> Unless you wanted to sponsor the show, we would certainly love to get a UWF sponsorship and we could push your merchandise here in uh, uh, your Beach Brawl tape. Well, we could talk about that. Okay. But I, I do, you know, I do want to give equal time to everybody here. And uh, Herb, you have a show coming up next week. Well, there was an article, John, that appeared in uh, Friday's uh, Gannett Suburban newspaper locally in the Mount Vernon area that, with the caption, Cops Muscle Fight Fans for Charity. And uh, it's a show that we're putting on for the PBA, which is the Police Benevolent Association, and its charity, Cops for Kids, where we're donating a substantial amount of the gate to the police department for the city of Mount Vernon. And uh, we're bringing in some, uh, some big names, and we're going to have a... Fabulous matches and a great card, and uh, we look forward to all the good people in that area coming out and see the UWF once again put on a fine show. And uh, we welcome you to come there and uh, your listeners. Okay, you will have a show that now this was uh, another promoter was going to do this, but the UWF has uh, saved the show. For when I well, unfortunately, in the wrestling business, John, as you know, everybody wants to be a promoter, and uh, people think it's a real easy business. And as you know, and I know, and uh, it's not as easy as people think. They think they could just make a couple of phone calls, hire some wrestlers, and just go into the wrestling business. It doesn't really work that way. It's a business, and you've got to have a business background to run a business. And unfortunately, uh, uh, not to get into the details of it, but uh, the, yes, the show was going to be put on by some uh, uh, people that uh, are actually wrestlers, and uh, they found out that... Uh, uh, their pockets weren't that deep, and it needed to be, uh, you know, it, it is a charity show. It's the UWF is not planning on making any money for it. We're donating the money okay, for the kids. It's, it's going to be at Mount Vernon where in Mount Vernon? It's at the Mount Vernon High School, which is uh, located at um, Calif 100 California Road. And tickets are reasonably priced at $8, so that, and then we're selling tickets for the kids for less than that. Uh, Where do they go to get tickets? Do they go to the box office? Do they, is there a number? Well, they, they can buy. The, the tickets are on sale at around 30 different outlets in the Mount Vernon area. One of the outlets is at the Vernon Video uh, location at 264 Grampton Avenue. One is at uh, 85 Lincoln Avenue. Tickets are on sale at uh, Arturo Bakery. Uh, those are some of the uh, uh, main ticket outlets. Tickets certainly will be on sale at the door. And what I'm excited about is that the main event of the night uh, and I do believe we have Brian Blair possibly coming on the air. I just spoke with him earlier. 
will be two uh, what we call good guys, if you will. Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, will be squaring off against B. Brian Blair. And these are two guys that grew up together in the state of Florida and Tampa and were very competitive. And uh, uh, I approached the both of them and said, guys, you know, I, uh, I, I always wanted to know which one of you can out-wrestle one another. And... Uh, we, we sat and talked about it, and they both finally agreed. They were reluctant at first to face each other, but they finally agreed to meet each other in the square circle. They know it's a charity. And it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of this match will be. And uh, uh, I know there's a lot of B. Brian Blair fans out there that used to follow him as one and a half of the Killer Bees, and I know there's a lot of Mr. Wonderful fans out there. Okay, so we got Bla we got Blair and Orndorff in the main event. That's uh, correct. You know, Curb, I wish I had the time to bring a lot of these guys on, but i got about 15 minutes left here. And uh, I wanted to inform the fans, uh, you know, UWF is running this show next week, the 16th of, of November, Mount Vernon High School, 100 California Avenue Street. That's correct. And, right. and, and, of course, this latest newcomer who's been harassing the UWF, the godfather, Tony Capone. Heard a lot of good things about him. Yes, well, he's a, a rather uh, big-sized Italian fellow who claims he uh, can defeat Steve Williams and wants a crack at the title, and he'll be there in the uh, undercard uh, in the semifinal facing uh, Mario Mancini. Okay. I've heard a lot of things about Tony Capone. Uh, he is on the air holding here. Um, I wish I had the time to bring these guys on, Herb. I uh, wish I could have spoke to you last night. I was out in the city trying to get my funds to do my show today. I was on the street corner with like a beggar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have asked your good friend Wade Kelly. He would have helped you out. Wade, Wade, would you have done Wade, is Wade on the air? He's listening. I'm here. He's probably taking Wade, notes. I like your new format in your uh, publication. I, don't, I rarely get it because no one sends it to me. I guess maybe I should send in whatever I need to send in to get copies of it. But when I do get it, I did see the new uh, format, and I think it's quite good. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. There he is, <laughs> Herb Abrams. Oh, yeah. And like um, he says, one of, the, you know, one of the major ticket outlets was the, this bakery. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, now, here's the big question I have. Did mm -hmm. that show ever actually take place? I believe it did, because wow. I think Tony Capone uh, was the guy that was promote, actually promoting it with her. So that really happened, okay. Yeah, that show uh, actually took place. And, you know, earlier in the show, you know, there was an American Wrestling Federation sh uh, card that was being the noble experiment that that was. Uh, did that show ever take place? Um, well, there's a big... Uh, story about the AWF that we'll be we'll be covering in the month of December uh because Gordon Scazzeri who was a um a young man uh he was um I think he was in his early 20s and he had gotten an inheritance he was a big wrestling fan and he decided to become a promoter and he booked shows uh one uh these first shows that he was we're going to be talking to him about uh, in, in the December shows. I mean, it, it was one of the saddest stories probably ever in wrestling because here's a kid who inherited a bunch of money who blew it. And he brought in, he brought in names like the original Sheik, mm -hmm. Adrian Street, um, Paul Ondorf, Stan Lane, Jim Cornette, Nikita Koloff. I mean, on and on and on. Uh, Eddie Gilbert, was supposed to be the booker i mean it, it, it's just a sad story because he he passed away uh he passed away actually in 2011 uh from kidney disease uh and he was only 40 years old oh. but Gord, uh, gordon appears on the pro wrestling spotlight 
you know, he comes in to do a you know big advertising campaign to promote the shows. I, I, I promoted it as best I could. Uh, he had Asbury Park and another venue in New York, which was eventually uh, canceled. And he went up to uh, Lowell, Massachusetts to do TV because he had TV crews, too. I mean, yes. uh, it was an amazing, sad situation. I mean, some of the names he brought in were just some of his personal favorites as a wrestling fan. Yeah, well. And we're going to be getting into all of that stuff with the AWF. And we'll talk quite a bit about Gord Scazzeri uh, when we start covering December of 1991 because he's on uh two of the weeks, two or three of the weeks oh. in December. Yeah. So you'll hear right. him. Well, I, you know, I, they ran a show in New York city. I think it was in channel four, if I'm not mistaken for a few weeks anyway. And it was so slick. Do you remember that TV show? Oh, I, I remember the production. I mean, he had major production. He had, uh, you know, uh, he had major, like almost like WWF type production. Yeah. A cruise in there. He blew so much money. And, and, and one of the craziest things that, about it was Dr. Mike Leno was there. <laughs> and uh, Mike Leno actually managed the original Sheik and Sabu during those TV tapings. And then on the same night, Mike comes out after he's managing the Sheik and Sabu, comes out as a photographer to take pictures. I mean, it, it, it was a bizarre it was a, a very short-lived, bizarre promotion with a bunch of bizarre things that happened. And we're going to dive deep into that when we get to December. I can't wait for that because all I know is I tuned in and there's Lord Alfred Hayes. Lord Alfred Hayes, who, who I guess just been cut by the uh, yeah. World Wrestling Federation. I mean, at that point. Just, the, the names that were associated, Huge. including guys in from Puerto Rico. Uh, it, it was just, you know, Kamala. I mean, you, you talk about Al Perez, Billy Jack Hay. You talk about so many yeah. names that he brought in. The, the locker room was filled with all of these incredible stars from all over the world uh, for these TV tapings. And uh, the sad part of it is, is that the guy blew through this inheritance. Or in some, uh, there's some, some stories he, he he made a lot of money in the stock market, but it was more, from what I understand, an inheritance. Uh, but we'll we'll get into all of that. It's just a a sad chapter that year. Well, I'm looking forward to that. See, that's that's the long term AWF story. I did not know, so I'm going to look forward to those shows indeed. Yes. So, uh, speaking of shows, let's go to episode 135, originally broadcast on November 24th, 1991. And one of my favorite people in the wrestling business, Kevin Sullivan, John. Kevin Sullivan. John. That Boston accent. Yeah. Kevin. I mean, I, I uh, Kevin was one of the first guys that I actually became friends with in the wrestling business uh, up in uh, New England, 1975, when he when he broke in as a rookie. Because uh, uh, I went to school up in Boston. He was a Boston guy. He just, he just um, took a liking to me. And that friendship and dears, uh, you know, has lasted all of these years uh, later. Uh, did a lot of business with Kevin. Have a lot of stories about Kevin. Uh, but, um, and, and, you know, he, um, one of the most brilliant guys ever. No in kidding. Pro wrestling. And that's why anytime we had an opportunity to get Kevin on the air it was always a very informative and a very good segment. He, he could wear three hats at the same time. He could be a booker. Yes. He could he could be a main eventer all at the same time. He he could be you know, just an agent. He could he could do virtually anything that a wrestling promotion needed. 
and really brilliant and a tremendous heel. Uh, I, you know, between his Florida stint and the thing he did in Smoky Mountain, and th those are the ones that pop into my mind. He was just so over the top and so believable in his role. He, what are the, you know, what? He's one of the all-time greats. He really is. Yeah, and one of the most instrumental guys as far as on the creative side in the history yeah. of the business. Um, but, but, you know what? He deserves a gold medal for keeping WCW afloat during some pretty hard times, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he was also a big proponent of, of Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. Yeah. Uh, and, and was one of the reasons why Mick um, went back there a few times. And uh, his relationship with Kevin was uh, deep and, and still strong to this day. Yeah. Ke uh, Kevin is still involved with wrestling. Here and there. Um, I just saw him uh, in Vegas at the Cauliflower Alley reunion. And he's there. And he still does like every single autographed show or convention. He's at every single one of them. That's what he does. And he lives out in some island or so. I mean, he's he lives in a bizarre land of whatever. I mean, I think he said once on the phone to me that... He lives on an island with a bunch of Vietnam vets or something. I don't know. I mean, he just incredible. <laughs> he's he's a uh, he's a funny guy, man. Uh, great stories with Kevin. Uh, great memories of Kevin, and of course, uh, his marriage to uh, Nancy Sullivan, a uh, woman. Uh, I mean, that was um, that was another uh, a big part of my days in wrestling years ago because. Uh, there was really nobody like her as well. And, you know, the stories uh, that circulated, but, you know, they, people can say a lot of things, but all I know is when I saw Nancy and Kevin together and I traveled internationally with them, uh, they looked deeply in love with each other. So whatever the stories, and Kevin doesn't talk about it that much, but uh, what a legacy he's had in the pro wrestling industry since uh, the mid seventies, but uh, a good friend, one of my best friends, Ever in pro wrestling, um, I always uh, have admired Kevin Sullivan. I only had a couple of short hellos with Kevin during the WCW period, but I remember being—I think it was in St. Louis, if, if memory serves. I forget—I forget the city. It was one of the few air trips I took to cover a card, mm -hmm. and it was after the show. And he is sitting there, and I forget who he's speaking with, but he was wrestling twenty-four-seven. They were just yeah. talking wrestling. After the show, I mean, you figured they'd want to talk about anything else after a major pay-per-view and they've been working their asses off. No, he talked wrestling, wrestling, wrestling all the time. It's in his blood back then, in his blood today. Yeah, I, what am I, I, I admire him as probably in my top 10 of all time, creative, just tour yeah. de force, one of a kind, nobody else like him, irreplaceable. Yep. He's a genius. When it comes to wrestling, Kevin Sullivan's a genius. So I think we should listen to the great, Kevin Sullivan. We also get to hear Don Liebel in this in this clip. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the news reporter for the show at the time, and he asked some questions of the guy who used to be known as the Taskmaster. That's right. And uh, we're going to find out what Don has to ask right now. To me, looking over the roster of Robert, uh, Ron Fuller, uh, Gar uh, uh, Ronnie Garvin, Malenko, Dean Ho, Dick Slater, Ken Lucas, uh, do you think that was one of the best uh, talented promotions you've ever worked for? Yeah, uh, if you look at it, at that time of that era, it certainly was. Uh, you, you mentioned, everybody you mentioned, I agree with. Then there was the uh, Stomper, uh, Toratanaka, Fuji, when he was in his prime. Uh, it was went on and on and on. I mean, they, they had, from the opening match, they had nothing but talent. 
And one of the things I think that was the reason why it was Knoxville at the time was a real small territory, and the people don't realize now what territories were. Some people in, like, when they had territories in that Oklahoma, Louisiana run, guys were in the car all day and all night trying to get to towns. Where in Knoxville, everything was run, really, the longest trip was 110 miles from Knoxville, and that was Johnson City. Everything else was in a 50-mile radius, so it made it very, very easy. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hulk Hogan got started about that time down there as well as Sterling Golden. Yeah, he did. He certainly did. I mean, they had uh, they had Bob Orton there, too, at the time. Jerry Dick Blackwell. Slater, Bob Roop, uh, Ronnie Garvin, the Stomper, uh, Robert Fuller, Ronald Fuller, Jimmy Golden, uh, uh, Timmy Horner just started then, uh, Tony Anthony, they had a host, a host of talent. It was excellent. You know, one other thing I'd like to ask you about, uh, when you, uh, of course, from the uh, New England area, uh, we grew up watching uh, more or less the uh, World Wrestling Federation. Over the years, it seemed uh, Madison Square Garden, for me and for John, growing up in the New York area, was always the the top card, always the biggest name, so they would bring in new names, but mm. that was a special card. And, and over the years, I'd say in the last, uh, uh, well, since 84, 85, Madison Square Garden seems to be just another uh, place to put your show on. Uh, nothing special, nothing unique. And uh, I know you you started out. Uh, I think your first card at Madison Square Garden was in 1975 or so. And what what was it like for you when you first heard you were wrestling in Madison Square Garden or the Boston Garden from where you were from, and the way it's evolved now to just being a a regular card? Well, even though I wrestled at home in Boston Garden, it was a big thrill for me. But uh, Madison Square Garden was Mecca in those days. I mean, you knew you made it when you got to Madison Square Garden. But the reason why it's just a regular card is the reason why uh, every building's the same now, because whether it's the WCW or the WWF, it's the same talent scene throughout the country. Like you were saying just a minute ago, they used to bring people in when it was a regional promotions. You'd get to see up in Madison Square Garden, Dusty Rhodes, who wouldn't wrestle anyplace else in the gardens. Uh, you'd see Roddy Piper come in from Los Angeles. You'd see Chavo Guerrero maybe come in from Texas. You got to see the Funk Brothers coming in from Texas. You got a mixture then of seeing NWA stars with WWF stars. Yeah. I think that was the... Uh, and it was taken as what it is. It's Madison Square Garden. You got to see the best of all the talent across the country. Now, do you think that the, the promoters don't realize this and say, geez, why don't we have a full house anymore? Um, uh, it just seems that it's just become just, uh, you know, nothing special. And uh, it, it's a shame because it, it was fabulous. I remember when Roddy Piper would come in, as you said, they would bring Greg Valentine in to wrestle Victor Rivera from Los Angeles. They even had a young uh, uh, Rick Flair come Rick in. Rick Flair came in twice against, yep. I believe, Johnny Rods and Pete Sanchez. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible. One other thing, Kevin, uh, growing up in New England, did you ever attend uh, the Santos School of Wrestling or uh, uh, are on any of their matches that they presented? No, I never uh, I never wrestled for them, and I never attended their school or anything, because when I was getting into professional wrestling at the time, they were just about out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, or, or if they weren't out of it, they were just at a very limited basis. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one other thing uh, in, in uh, the Boston Gardens area, there was a fellow that had, was with the organization, Coogie McFarlane. Yes. And uh, the guy used to cr uh, chomp down on his cigar. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time when he chased John Arezzi out of the building. There. Right out of the Boston Garden, because they attended an oppo opposition show, uh, IWA show, Coogie and uh, uh, 
and Angelo Savoli threw me right out of the garden. And um, Richard Nieves, who's here in the studio, asked me, because uh, there's an article in this magazine, Ring Wrestling, uh, an article I wrote about Mario Savoldi, the referee. Mm -hmm. And I said I did that pretty much as a, a little bit of a public relations to get in good graces with Savoldi and Coogie again in that area. And I did a nice big spread on, uh, on Mario for Ring Wrestling. So that got me back into Boston Garden, believe it or not. You know, the interesting thing was, <clears throat> I don't know if either of you guys know this, Coogie McFarlane was written up by Damon Runyon and used him in some of his stories. Yes. Yeah. Coogie mm. was pretty well known there. And there was also another guy up in Boston that used to, uh, uh, Jazzo. Remember Jazzo, the little guy with the uh, thing on his head? I sure do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was pretty funny. Jazzo, he used to be a magician uh, when I was up in college up there. did a little uh, special on Jazzo the Clown, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny, pretty funny stuff. But uh, anyway... Uh, John, let's uh, uh, let other people get on the phone to talk with Kevin. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, meeting you over the phone lines, Kevin, and good luck in your future uh, endeavors. With well, thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, and Kevin, uh, once again, it's a pleasure to have you here today, and uh, I've always looked uh, forward to getting you on the program and taking some calls from some of the listeners out there. Uh, when it comes down to uh, uh, my associations or acquaintances in professional wrestling, uh, Kevin, I consider you a friend, and uh, you're always, uh, what struck me is that uh, as my days of photographer and uh, later on when I had a brief stint as a wrestler, and uh, years later when I, uh, I guess I saw you back in the, Charlotte Coliseum in 1983. It, you know, you always remembered my name. Always took time out to say hello and uh, say a few words, and uh, uh, that has always been remembered by me as uh, as someone. Because the business is uh, such where a lot of guys don't remember you after years, but Kevin Sullivan, you always did uh, remember me, and uh, I appreciate that first and foremost here. Well, thank you, John. We uh, have a lot to talk about, and I know right now uh, you're wrestling on the independent scene in pro mm -hmm. wrestling, and. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't mind, can you explain to uh, to us uh, what led to your departure this time from WCW? Well, I think it was at the time it was I was going nowhere with them, and at the time it was the best move I could have made. I mean, uh, uh, I had been there a long time, and you know, <clears throat> years ago when you were in a territory for a while, you used to go on, move on to other things, so you couldn't get stagnant. It was a similar thing for me. I've been on the road, John, as you know, for almost five years. Yeah. So it was time for me to get out, out for a while and come home and get my stuff back to the, my own roots and get my basic things done that I had to do here. And uh, right now you are working for uh, several promotions, I believe. And uh, what's happening down in the Florida scene right now as far as pro wrestling goes? Well, there's about four promoters down here in the uh, Florida market that I know of anyway. There's uh, Bobby Wells in Miami with Joe Patern uh, Fraterno. It's like the football coach's name. Uh there's uh, Ron Slinker's organization over in Tampa. They did a pilot. There's also a gentleman called Tommy Starr over in Tampa that runs quite frequently. Uh, then there's the uh, Eddie Mansell thing in Universal starting up. So there's a host of promoters down here trying to run and try to maybe recoup what Florida once was. What do you think with the uh, problems that the major organizations are suffering right now, that is uh, overexposure mm -hmm. and house shows dwindling, uh, to a record low attendance, uh, do you think these little territories are going to start to spring up again around the country, and uh, how do you feel about that? Well, John, I think they will start to spring up around the country. Whether they succeed is another thing. I mean, uh, the basis of the business when it was successful was there was a different style from everybody. 
you got to see uh, a Tony Charles style, uh, a Kevin Sullivan style, Dusty Rhodes style, whatever. It was because everybody didn't come from the same area. And uh, right now, it, <clears throat> a lot of the styles are very similar. And I think maybe that with what we talked about earlier, you get to see everybody every show. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to any show in, we'll say, the New York market, you see for the WCW, you see Steiner, Sting, Luger, everybody they have every show. <clears throat> there isn't an influx of guys that are different way. I remember being a fan myself. I'm a wrestling fan still today. You know, and there's guys that I'd like to see wrestle. And if you see everybody every time, it doesn't make it special. That's what we're getting back to. That's why I think made the garden so special. They would bring Mill Mascaris into the gardens. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> even if, you, if you're if a wrestling fan, you knew you had to go to the gardens to see Mill because he wasn't going to be there next month. A Jack Briscoe they bring up, or a Terry Funk. You know, you're going to see somebody that was different. I think that is maybe some of the problem at the house shows today. Not that they're not good shows. It's besides watching them on television. I mean, because they have to get ratings in this rating game today. You see Luger on TV. You see the Steiners. You see uh, the Zabiscos. You see everybody. And then they go to the house show, and it's the same thing. There isn't any bit of uh, something different. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where... The dwindling of the attendance is not because the shows themselves are bad. It's because it's the same thing. Well, I certainly have to agree uh, on that point. Um, other things that I uh, want to talk to you about is this past Tuesday, WCW had a clash of the champions. Uh-huh. Uh, did you get a chance to see that at all? No, I didn't, John. I was working. Uh-huh. I was wrestling over in uh, St. Pete, so I didn't get a chance. But every, but I, I've, heard, I've heard mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. But most of the people that I have a tendency to take their words, there was pretty good show yeah i certainly enjoyed it uh with ricky steamboat making a, a surprise mm-hmm. appearance and uh, winning the tag team titles teaming up with dustin Rhodes. uh that was a great surprise and rick rude coming in and uh, mm-hmm. uh defeating sting uh it seemed to be a certainly a certainly a step in the right direction for the company which has drawn a lot of criticism this year uh for a lot of the moves that they made a lot of the uh wrestlers they've lost including uh in my opinion the uh, the top guy rick flair uh, so, uh, do you think that uh, WCW, or what is your prognosis for them uh, as far as on a six-month or two-a-year basis uh, down the road? Do you think they're coming back? Oh, John, well, the, you know, I, I haven't been following that much, but, I mean, bringing in a steamboat and a rude has to be a plus. I mean, Ricky Steamboat's one of the most talented guys I've ever seen in this business, and Rick Rude is a very talented guy also. Yeah. So there's two pluses. Hopefully, <clears throat> they won't get sidetracked with either one of them, mm-hmm. which they sometimes have a tendency to do. Uh, I think what you mentioned before, they they left a huge gap when Flair left. I mean, Flair was the flagship of the company, and uh, as you know, John, sometimes in house shows, the matches aren't as exciting as... You think they're going to be, but at the end of the night, they always had that ace in the hole that Flair would give the people their money's worth. Yeah, uh, I think that when he left, they lost part of that, but now that they've gotten Rude and Steamboat and some new blood in there, and looks to me like they're going in a different direction with Paul E. and his group, so maybe, 
maybe. I don't think what they've done. I mean, <clears throat> what they've done this week, as you said, brought in these new guys. I think it can't do anything but be a plus for them. Whether they can keep it on the right track and keep it as a plus, we'll have to see. Okay. Um, yeah, Flair leaving was certainly a blow to the organization, and uh, some some places they're still chanting, we want Flair in some of the WCW arenas. Mm-hmm. Lex Luger is the champion right now, and uh, I personally, and a lot of people I've spoken to, uh, Luger just seems to really not have a love for the wrestling business, and uh, uh, we understand over the last couple weeks uh, uh, there's been some problems with Luger. Uh, he refused to go over to England. They're going over to England uh, to do a tour in December, and Luger refused to do that. Uh, do you have any p- opinions, uh, let's say, comparing Luger to Flair or Luger as a champion representing an organization well, like WCW? Well, in all actuality, no matter who replaced Flair, I think there was going to be some animosity from the fans. Mm-hmm. Whether it would have been uh, Luger or if Barry Windham had become champion, or whoever. Uh, Ric Flair, as you're a wrestling fan, John, and everybody that listens to your program, they always consider Ric Flair the last line back to the NWA champions. Where people that were NWA fans could always look and say, well, Rick's the champion. And that's the way it should be. I think it's hard for anybody to step in and fill Rick's shoes. Uh, I don't know about the problems they're having with Luger. And, uh, you know, I can't comment because I don't know. But I'd be like, uh, you know, years ago in the Yankee Stadium, Tommy Tresh tried to fill Mickey Mantle's shoes. He was a great center fielder, but he wasn't Mickey Mantle. Uh, Rick Flair, looking at it, and uh, he was probably the most dominant factor for the decade in the 80s in our business. It'd be very hard for anybody to fill the, his shoes. And how he left and went to the WWF, I think, was a real mistake with the WCW on their, on their part. Because I really believe that maybe Flair wanted to stay there. Yeah, well, I'm sure he probably did. And uh, all the controversy that's even taken place when Rick jumped over and even took the belt, uh, the litigation that's transpired because of the championship belt, uh, just the bitterness on uh, the side of WCW now doing everything they can. I think that was a catalyst in them perhaps signing a steamboat where he just left the WWF a couple weeks ago, and already he's on their TV, a uh, catalyst perhaps in the bringing Root in, and I think that WCW now is going to do everything in their power uh, to finally uh, start uh, trying to compete with the WWF. Now, g- getting back to Rick and, and the Flair situation, I think uh, from the people I've talked to, and uh, when I uh, had Rick at uh, my wrestling fans convention in August, he seemed to be happy he seemed to be you know just like this is finally the opportunity for him maybe to get some national recognition something which i think he's craved uh, uh, over the last 10 years national recognition as far as mainstream publicity and i'm sure if he uh, goes up against hogan in wrestlemania 8 and the publicity that will precede that event uh, even if he goes in perhaps wearing the strap and hogan trying to get it back from him uh, i think flair's gonna be a very happy man over the next year or so Oh, I agree with you totally, and I'm not belittling what WCW did, but with uh, Rude and Steamboat, because I've said they're great talent, and they are, uh, 
which match would draw you more, Hogan versus Steamboat, Hogan versus Rude, or Hogan versus Flair? It's got to be Hogan and Flair. Okay, that's the bottom line. Yeah. It doesn't matter what WCW did after they lost Flair. There isn't any replacing that match. I mean, as a wrestling fan myself, I want to see Flair and Hogan. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting for it for 10 years. That's right. And so uh, I hope and I wish Rick the best of luck in his quest for what he wants. Well, I know uh, you two are pretty close outside the ring and uh, are friendly, and uh, I'm sure you wish him the best, and uh, we certainly wish Rick the best. And uh, I still, just to be honest with you, it seems uh, almost like a fish out of water, him competing in the WWF, just adding a new style uh, into the organization. It still seems strange uh, to see Ric Flair enter a WWF ring for some reason. It just doesn't seem right. Uh, but uh, hopefully uh, if they give, uh, if he uh, gets the strap, if he beats Hogan, I really feel that it's going to do a tremendous amount for the wrestling business and a uh, rematch at WrestleMania 8 would be tremendous. To this day, I don't know why every major wrestling federation doesn't give Kevin Sullivan a call and say, come work for me. Yeah, he's up in, up in age a little bit now, uh, but still very smart guy. Um, a matter of fact, uh, when I first got back in a couple of years ago, Kevin was calling me a lot because he wanted to start a promotion with me here in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, I was kind of like, Kevin, I'm not really into doing that. Yeah, John, we can get Haku's kids. They're great. <laughs> You know, we'll run out of Knoxville and then we'll do a circuit. And I'm like, Kevin, Kevin, I really don't. I don't. Well, you could go back to Southeast Asia. It's wide open over there. Uh, you know, people get some money and let's do it. I was like, Kevin, I'm not going into I'm not promoting wrestling anymore. Uh, I, and I'm not running, you know, a full time wrestling promotion, a part time wrestling promotion, uh, even a um, uh, a short series of shows. It ain't happening. Uh, but uh, I was kind of honored in the way that he was trying to push me so hard on doing it. And uh, But, yeah, there's no way that I was going to do that, even with somebody I admired as much as Kevin Sullivan. I, I, you know, there are a few people who are out of wrestling now who should still be in, in major leagues of wrestling, and I think he's one of them. I don't care how old he is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah you he, need, still, ha he need, still has it. You need people with the point of reference of 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Oh, yeah. To make wrestling wrestling. It's when you hire TV writers and things like that that things get out of hand and, and un unbelievable and not wrestling. You know, wrestling, it, it wrestling, booking, wrestling booking and wrestling creative is in the core of his soul. Yes. It's natural for him. And that's why I insist he should still be in the in the business. I think Jim Cornette should still be that in the business. But uh, what can I say? Uh, time marches on. Yep, we, we all change, and so does wrestling. That's true. And let's go back in time to one of the smoothies of the wrestling business, folks. Hmm. Tri-State Wrestling and I Alliance head Joel Goodhart. A guy who I personally liked a lot, and I attended almost every one of his shows. And he, you know what? They were fantastic wrestling cards, John. They always were. They okay. really were by any standard. Any he was very innovative, and he was another one who catered to the hardcore fans, and would bring in incredible talent for his shows. Uh, Joel is uh, one of those stories too. You know, he was uh, like a shooting star in a lot of ways. He started his wrestling radio show in Philadelphia and took off and 
became a promoter and did some wonderful shows and was innovative in the things that he did. And uh, Joel, I saw also at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, a couple of months ago. Really? Yeah, he was there and uh, he was there, you know, even when I went a couple of years ago and uh, reacquainted myself, he looks uh, way different these days. Doesn't have that long mullet or doesn't have those dark glasses anymore, but it was good to see him and reminisce and exchange stories. Uh, so, uh, it, it was great. And it just brought back a lot of memories cause I, um, I did a lot of stuff with Joel back in the nineties, especially in 91. Here's a fun tidbit. At one point I'm backstage at the card, uh, where Abdullah the butcher was taking on the Sheik, and I come walk again yeah. and the Sheik thought I was Joel Goodhart. Oh, I can see that back because I had the longish hair back then in the glasses. Yes. And he really did think I was Joel. He goes, what do I do? And I said, with that high voice of Abdullah, right? No, no, the the sheik, the sheik, the sheik. Oh my God. Yeah. The sheik comes up to me. The sheik didn't talk to anybody as far as I knew. No, he didn't. And he walked up to me and he goes, what do I do as far as blah, blah, blah. And I went, excuse me. (laughs) Aren't you Joel Goodhart? I said, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Oh, that's the one where Joe wanted me to wear a tuxedo at ringside. Mm-hmm. There was such a big show with Abdullah the Butcher. We all had to dress formally. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, so, so <laughs> here I am in the tuxedo. And I said, you know, I'll play along. What the heck? You know, we were having fun. So, you know, Joe and I were pretty close. So I said, yeah, I'll wear a tux if you want me to wear a tux. So I wore a tux. I happened to own one. And at that point, I guess it was a similar tux to what Joel had on. And he thought, the original Sheik thought I was Joel Goodhart. There's an anecdote. There is one. That is one. <laughs> That's a good anecdote. Yeah. I mean, the, the Sheik actually just tapped me on the shoulder and talked to me. I, that happens to very few people in the wrestling business. I had him at my convention in 1993, and I didn't even talk to him. Yeah, he... he oh. Boy, the Sheik lived it like nobody else. Yeah, I just didn't want to... Uh, that suspension of disbelief. He was one of the guys that I always was scared of as a kid watching and reading the wrestling magazines. And uh, I just, uh, Kevin Sullivan had helped me get to him for the convention in 93. And I only dealt with uh, his wife, Joyce, mm-hmm. and gave her the pay, pay off. And to this day, I, I just am so regretful that I never talked to him at the convention or take a picture with him because I would have loved that because he was certainly one of the legends. And one of the biggest stories from that convention in 93 was uh, the fact that he was chasing people around the hotel lobby with the machete. And you can imagine like the people at the Marriott hotel at LaGuardia airport, it wasn't just wrestling fans. It was like regular people coming in business guys with their, you know, briefcases. And all of a sudden this is, guy with a turban and with a big big ass machete chasing people around the lobby with the machete screaming the way the sheik used to scream back then no one knew what he was saying that is a legendary story and you know what the more you think about it you look at abdul the butcher the sheik terry funk to an extent if you're gonna be a heel it pays to be a little bit nuts for real oh yeah Yeah. and uh i i think that those guys lived it every moment i i why was he chasing people around the hotel just like it is for the gimmick just for the gimmick he'd slam the the machete down at the autograph table just to scare people and he uh and, and that night when we did the show we did it because Sa- he came out with sabu against conan and there was also a run-in at the end because had terry funk against kevin sullivan with sherry martell and woman and it was just a 
brawl. And I mean, it was just kind of it, a little hotel ballroom with all of these uh, legends and the Sheik being there, which just popped the crowd, it just popped the crowd when he came out with Sabu. The Sheik really did look fearsome. He wasn't a big guy. Oh, yeah. But Scary. he had that he had that look, that countenance, that. Well, he had the pencil, too. He would jab you in the oh, forehead. Oh, the pencil, the fireballs, you name it. I, yeah. I mean, his, his matches would last about six minutes, but you'd see double juice. Yeah, um, there'd be blood within the first 60 seconds. Oh, yeah, and it'd usually be his. And then he'd retaliate by stabbing the other guy with a pencil in the face for about 10 minutes. Yep. And and um, usually, you know, the guy would make a comeback, whoever he's wrestling, and then here comes the fireball, one, two, three. Yeah. And that's how he held on to the U.S. title for a long, long time. Yeah, Kobo Hall in Detroit. I mean, he promoted that town. and Toronto, too. Yeah, we should uh, someday bring on Dave Brzezinski uh, from Detroit, who uh, worked with the Sheik for many, many years, got some great stories. Oh, that would be a thrill for me, especially, because uh, I'm really into the, the – uh, the Sheik, I, I think he was, what you know, he doesn't get enough credit because people think he kind of hung around too long. But the fact is, he was one of the big money earners of all time in wrestling right around the time Fred Blassie was. Yes, and their matches against each other in Los Angeles, that's where Blassie uh, first came up with the Blassie cage, uh, the big cage match. And, uh, and the Sheik against Blassie in the cage is one of those all-time great matches out in Los Angeles uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Yep. And that's what made, I think that's really what made the people love Blassie in uh, Los Angeles. I think they yeah. hated the Sheik so much. Yes. That they, they decided to love Blassie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, anyone against the Sheik, I mean, everyone wanted to see him go down and defeat. But, uh, and that's another thing about the guy. He really rarely ever lost except for on a DQ. You know, I don't re even remember him getting his shoulders pinned one, two, three. Well, they, they say that's what – I don't know if it was Toronto or, or Detroit, but I think that's what they say started the business, his business, his promotion to go on a downslide because they brought Andre the Giant in, and he beat Andre. Okay, all right. Or I don't know if it was by a countout or what, but I know that you know Andre lost, and he didn't take the title. Everybody was expecting Andre to crush. And I think the fans in mass said, well – you know, if, if Andre can't beat this guy, yeah, he's never getting beat. And I think the, the shtick had gotten really, really old at that point. And that's yeah. when the crowd started to go down, down, down. And in the end, the Sheik was a wrestling vagabond going from town to town in a van like everybody else. And, and until he went to Japan, where he was still revered. True. That's true. That's right. And that's, that's, where, he absolutely made, true. that's where he made the majority of his money in the later years. Yeah, and boy, did he hang around for a long time. <laughs> he, cer he certainly did. Comeback after comeback. So uh, we're, we kind of got off tangent here, but yeah, a good did. tangent. That was kind of a good tangent, but we do. You know, speaking of legends, I mean, this next segment uh, is, uh, you know, really historic in a lot of ways, too. Um, I'll let you, you know, explain a little bit of it, and then we'll, we'll go into, uh, uh, sadly, what uh, never really happened. Yeah, well— you know, I was really looking forward to this because I attended the press conference for this one in Philadelphia on a Sunday. Got me out of my house on a Sunday, so you know it was doggone important. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Goodhart was going to promote a match between the original Nature Boy Buddy Rogers and Nature Boy Buddy Landell. And as we spoke about on an earlier show, I think if this match had ever occurred, it would have been good. I think yes. Buddy was still in shape and really raring to do this. Yeah, he was. And 
boy, I was looking forward to this. And as you know, we'll let the cat out of the bag. It obviously never occurred because Buddy passed away, which is one of the saddest, you know. Yeah, January 25th uh, was the day the show was supposed to take place in uh, 92. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think this segment here, I mean, it it's actually uh, the last interview Buddy Rogers ever did. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. This segment is one of the best we've pulled for you guys because yeah. not only is Buddy Rogers great in this clip, but so is Buddy Landell. Oh, yeah. Buddy Landell is really fired up here, and you'll hear it in his voice, and he, he – he gets more heated as it goes along. And I think he's being blatantly honest in this. This is a big move for Buddy Landell to take on this match. I don't know how hot his career was at that point. I don't even know where he was wrestling at that point in his career, but I think this was a huge deal for everybody involved. Yeah. It sounded a little bit like a shoot. Some of it, didn't it? It did. Yes, it did. Absolutely. It did. I think it even Buddy Rogers got a little bit taken aback at how, how, uh, not over the top, buddy, but but serious, buddy Landell was about all this. Yeah, it it really was. Uh, if they were doing it to promote a match, they were doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Tremendous between the press conference and the appearance on your show, it, it couldn't have been more white hot going into this match. So right now, let's go to the clip, an amazing clip with Joel Goodhart, Buddy Rogers, and Buddy Landell. Had the opportunity of sitting down and getting into some lengthy conversations with Buddy Rogers, and I noticed a twinkle in his eye, if you will, that that he was interested in getting back in the sport. And one of the ways to do that was I, I never thought the guy would ever want to wrestle a match, uh, being 70 years old. Uh, but when the opportunity arose, we had a card downhill in Pine uh, down here in Pine Hill, New Jersey, several weeks back that we called Pine Hill Punishment, and the main event on that card was Dr. Death Steve Williams taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. And uh, I felt at the time that we needed someone other than your normal referee to referee that match, and I had contacted Buddy Rogers. And Buddy Rogers, since he was originally from that area, uh, took the assignment, uh, more because I think he wanted to come back to the area than anything else. Uh, I never knew at that time what was going to happen, uh, but in the, as time went on on that card, Buddy Landell, earlier on in the card, defeated J.T. Smith for the TWA heavyweight title. And Buddy was not scheduled for a title defense, but something happened in the dressing room that I'm still not aware of. But Mr. Sandman, who was scheduled to take on J.T. Smith, uh, decided not to wrestle J.T. And his manager, Peaches, went back in the dressing room, brought Buddy Landell out, and Buddy Landell defeated J.T. with the use of the figure four leg lock. Well, later on that card, uh, Buddy Rogers, after the uh, Dr. Death Bigelow match, Buddy Rogers was saying a few words to the people of Pine Hill, New Jersey, and out of nowhere comes Buddy Landell. And what ensued, uh, obviously, is tough to tell on the telephone, but what ensued was Buddy Landell confronting Buddy Rogers and actually attacking him from behind. And Buddy Rogers then responded with four forearms that were unbelievable that really sent Buddy Landell reeling. Well, to make a long story short, uh, Buddy Landell and Buddy Rogers are obviously, as of now anyway, the only two nature boys in the sport of pro wrestling. Uh, Rick Flair has kind of, except for the back of his robe, dropped that whole handle of nature boy and now they call him the real champ or whatever it might be. And the situation got a little heavier after that little brawl in Pine Hill, New Jersey. And one thing led to another where I contacted the agents for Buddy Rogers, the agents for Buddy Landell, and was able to get these guys to somehow agree to a potential match. And, of course, my concern with Buddy Rogers is he's 70 years old, uh, but in New Jersey when he was scheduled to be a referee in the state of New Jersey with the State Athletic Commission, he was required to take an EKG to make certain that, in fact, he was in healthy condition. 
And at the age of 70, after quadruple bypass surgery, the doctor stated that it was the cleanest EKG he's ever seen on a 70-year-old. And so we held a press conference down here in Philadelphia last Sunday with beach. Buddy Landell and Buddy Rogers, where they <laughs> so both signed a contract to go get uh, for this match on January 25th. Of course, Buddy Rogers has stated that this will be he'll be the second wrestler to come out of retirement and wrestle in seven decades. Luthez being the first doing it last January in Japan, and he lost his match. Buddy Rogers now wants to be the first one to wrestle in seven decades and win the match. And uh, the two stipulations were added for this match. The first was that if, in fact, Buddy Landell is still the TWA heavyweight champion in January, that Buddy would put the belt on the line. And the second was there was some disagreement as to who the referee would be, and I'm not sure how I got hoodwinked into this one, uh, but I am going to be the special guest referee in that match on January 25th. Are you going to wear a striped shirt or a tux? Uh, no, I'm going to wear my black and white. I had been a special guest referee a couple years back once before, and so that shirt, hopefully it still fits. <laughs> but we're going to don the black and white and see if I can't... Uh, Keep some peace here. Well, it's uh, certainly a match that's going to be covered by the international wrestling media. Uh, Buddy Landell versus Buddy Rogers, Battle of the Nature Boys, and uh, Buddy, just the, the, the whole aura of the match, it's going to make it one where people should not miss it. Uh, Buddy Rogers stepping back into the ring is a major news story, and battling for a title is a, another tremendous story, and I'm sure that uh, we're going to get a large contingent of New York fans down to Philadelphia on January 25th for this big card. Now, uh, we have other matches, of course, uh, that will be taking place. Uh, we just got off the phone with Kevin Sullivan. I understand he'll be taking on Eddie Gilbert in one of your great uh, <laughs> fans' lumberjack matches with a new stipulation. There'll be fans around three sides of the ring, and the fourth side, if they go out of that side of the ring, they can battle, and falls will count anywhere in the building. Yeah, basically what had happened, I don't know how much Kevin had told you, but we had taken a vote over the last two weeks on Wrestling Radio down here in Philly as to whether the fans wanted a fans participation lumberjack match, which we had against Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler, which was a very huge success, and a Penns County were in a building match, which I think the TWA has perfected. And the vote came in in a dead heat tie. And so I had to make a decision the day of the press conference last Sunday as to what the stipulations of that match would be. And basically what's going to happen when the people in, enter the building, including the people coming down the bus from New York, those who would like the opportunity of being a lumberjack will have a form to fill out, obviously an insurance waiver and waiving all liabilities, etc., explaining the rules of the lumberjack match. After the second match, just like we did at the card several, a year ago, we will then draw the nine names from the ring. It is totally legitimate. We will draw the nine forms. Those people will be lumberjacks. We will have three on three sides of the ring. And the conditions for the wrestlers will be that if they're thrown out on the sides where the lumberjacks are, they will be thrown back in the ring, as is the job of the lumberjack. But should they go out that fourth side where there is no lumberjack, they have the right to go anywhere in the building, and pins will count anywhere in the building. So uh, it's kind of like a combination match, and we're calling it all hell breaks loose because I think this is typical of what the TWA is all about. We just try to do things just a little bit different. Okay, and uh, other matches on the card. I know uh, Doug Furness and Dan Crawford take on Dr. Death Steve Williams, and his tag team partner, I believe, is Terry Gordy. Another big, big match there. Yeah, that's the first time this match is going to happen in the United States. It's obviously happened in Japan. I know a lot of your listeners are tape traders and have seen this match on tape, uh, but there's nothing like seeing these guys in the ring live. Yep, and uh, there'll be a uh, TWA tag team title match. Uh, Blackhearts defending their titles as well. Yeah, the Blackhearts with Luna Vashon, who are now, according to PWI, ranked as the top ten, one of the top ten tag teams in the country. Uh, have signed on. They will defend their title. The only problem that we have right now is we're not sure who the top contenders in the TWA are. 
and we do have a number of cards yet to come. So what we're going to do as of December 31st is decide the number one and number two ranked TWA tag team. They will meet during the first half of the card for the right to meet the black card during the second half of the card. Okay, and Owen Hart is scheduled to be there, and uh, I understand uh, that he has uh, signed with WWF as well, but uh, will, he, will he still be making your card in January? All right, as of now, uh, the answer to that is, yeah, Owen Hart will be taking on Samurai Shiro Koshinaka. Uh, however, if there's some contractual problems with the WWF, the name that we're going to have to replace Owen Hart will be one that people will want to see. Uh, but for now, as of right now, Owen Hart is still signed to that contract. So uh, anything else uh, that uh, we should know about yeah. as far as this card? Well, yeah, we'll have two other matches. Right? We're going to have a rookies match, which will be two of the fellows coming out of Ringmasters Wrestling School. And also we're doing a match Japanese-style, a 10-man elimination tag match, uh, which will feature the top 10 stars of the TWA. And wrestlers will be eliminated on that match by pin submission or by being thrown out to the ring floor. Um, and uh, that match has been done in Japan a number of times. It's very similar to the Survivor Series 5-on-5 five -five type match, except there is no stipulation whether you're thrown over the top rope. It's just thrown onto the floor in any way, shape, or form. So it's going to be uh, an 8 or 9 match card, uh, some of the biggest stars in the sport, and uh, somebody had called me the other day from another radio show and, and mentioned to me, and it, it seems to be pretty interesting here, that on my last card my main event was Abdul against the Sheik, and where you had a fellow in his 50s against a guy in his 60s, and now I have a main event where it's one of my guys being in the 70s. Uh, but I think that that's just a desire of a lot of wrestling fans to see some good old-fashioned wrestling, and the TWA is just about the only place to get it. And uh, we will be doing a bus trip. And, Joel, uh, a lot of fans on our last trip and the one previous, uh, they don't get their tickets fast enough and the best seats go. Uh, now, I understand that you're doing something special for our Pro Wrestling Spotlight listeners this time and giving us some choice quality seats. Uh, please explain to the fans listening to this program uh, what you got in mind for them. All right, well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, John is one who does a lot of begging, and uh, John Arezzi does it Please, than... <laughs> please give us good seats. Has <laughs> done it better than anybody else, and, and essentially what we've done since we are expecting a large contingent from New York, and in fact, I think this card deserves really two bus loads, uh, and I think the people out there ought to support John Rezzi and what he's doing by really coming up with two bus loads and helping the guy make some money here. But uh, what we're going to do, what I've done is I've pulled center seats rather than side seats, because very often the guys coming down from New York, uh, we're getting those side section seats. We have center section seats. We've pulled second rows, third rows, fourth rows, and fifth rows. And what I've told John is I will hold the tickets until such time as I really have to get to use them. But the, t the seats will be handed out in the order that you make your reservations. So that if you kill, call the phone number now that John will give you and make your reservation and send in your payment, you'll be guaranteed second or third row for sure in the center sections. Um, not, also, not the sides, right? The center sections. The center sections. Okay. There will be no side sections handed out to pro wrestling people uh, that order now. Now, obviously, I, I will tell you that ex ex except for the section that we've pulled for your, your listeners, our first six rows in the center sections are all sold. The first two or three rows in our side sections are all sold. Uh, the ring sides are obviously going big time for this one. This is a major uh, media event um, because of the, the coming out of retirement of Buddy Rogers. But more importantly, I, I think this match, I know a lot of the accent is being placed on Buddy Rogers and his rebirth. I think what you're seeing in this match also is the rebirth of Buddy Landell. Uh, Buddy's had some rough times in the past. Uh, Buddy, by his own admission, has made some mistakes. He's cleaning up his act. And the Battle of the Nature Boys with the reborn Buddy Landell against the reborn Buddy Rogers. Uh, call it what you want. I think this is a main event that you will see nowhere else. Buddy Rogers has stated that he has one good match left in him. So I would think that this is probably the last time that you will see Buddy Rogers wrestle. 
And uh, for anybody out there who's never had the opportunity of seeing him wrestle, I will tell you that at the age of 70, this man is in just excellent condition. Uh, he's got that Florida tan. He's in great health. And uh, he's looking forward to coming out. And, you know, again, I, I rip a lot of the fans in New York all the time because they seem to be big WWF followers. But the reality here is if you want to see a class act in the ring, I think you're going to see Buddy Rogers and Buddy Landell just just give you your money's worth by itself without the rest of the card. Okay, and uh, uh, Buddy, are you looking for? We're trying to get Buddy Rogers on. Oh on gosh, the I heard my name. Yeah, Buddy, I'm sorry to keep you on there. Just <laughs> no, that, hoping that, you didn't I'm fall asleep. It. Thank you. Uh, but uh, we tried to get a hold of Buddy Rogers, and I understand he's by the beach. Sure is. He lives right on the ocean. He so saved his money. I think they want. <laughs> I think they want to go retrieve Buddy, and uh, hopefully he'll join us here. Uh, but uh, Buddy, are you looking forward to taking on uh, Mr. Rogers? Sure. Yeah, I really am. You know, uh, like I said, I just want to thank Joe Goodhart and the TWA for for having enough faith in me because, you know, there for a while I couldn't even get booked, man. I'm, yeah. I, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> I was my own worst enemy. And uh, so, you know, I just thank Joe and the TWA, and uh, I have worked for Joe off and on for the last, you know, year or so and and uh, uh, have had good success. You know, I, I went up there with the attitude that, you know, that, I'm a, that I was a star and uh, – I didn't realize the tough competition that Joel had up in the TWA any given night, any of those guys. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, Joel called me up and asked me if I would be interested in wrestling a, a young black kid by the name of J.T. Smith. I said, sure, no problem, you know, and uh, I felt like that Burt Cooper last night going into the George Foreman fight, you know. I just wow. you know, stayed up two or three days, party, didn't think about it, and I went up there and got beat. And I came back next time got beat. You know, the kid beat me two or three times. And uh, in the process, he, he had gained the uh, TWA heavyweight belt. And then I started, you know, I turned 30 years old in August. And, uh, I, you know, just all of a sudden it just, it just hit me what all I'd had and lost and, and, and then what I didn't have. <clears throat> and people have to realize that by the time uh, I've been wrestling since I was 17, and I'm thir I just turned 30, so that's 13 years. By the time I was 24 years old, I had worked so hard in this business that I had attained the, the number one contender for Ric Flair in 1985 when I was 24. I was selling out places with Ric Flair. We'd broke Elvis Presley's records in a couple of places, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, for one. And, uh, you know, I, I'd started, uh, by then I'd got into the drug stuff, started believing that I was really a nature boy, Buddy Landell, that I was really a star. And, you know, they had, I had, uh, <clears throat> they had plans, uh, you know, some things had happened and, and, uh, you know, I, I was considered to be the world's heavyweight champion, and uh, I ruined my career by hanging up on Jim Crockett. They'd called me. They were doing something on TV that day, and I just said, I can't be bothered. I'm Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Hung up on them. So, you know, it's kind of like a black ball political situation that I was like an outcast for years, and then I got into a pity party and uh, got on drugs real bad and uh, started feeling sorry for myself. I got up to 260 pounds, went to Japan, and embarrassed my myself uh <clears throat> i got the hell beat out of me over there have not been asked back and don't blame them I, it was a pitiful performance i mean i'm just i had everything uh i had everything by the by the throat uh you know in wrestling i had everything uh, i worked real hard but i just had everything basically just went my way and uh until i really ruined it and i was in self-denial for so long until i decided to uh started looking at myself and stopped blaming wrestling and, and other people for my problems, I, you know, until I did that, I, I, I was still, you know, having my pity party. But when I w turned 30 years old, I just woke up one day, you know, I got a, a four and a six-year-old, and, and I've been married 10 years, and I said, wow, man, you know, I, 
Buddy Rogers has got money. Flair should have money. Uh, you know, and uh, I've had more opportunities and more chances in this business to make money, save money, and uh, <clears throat> have titles uh, than anybody else in, in the business. And I don't have. And, and uh, that's my fault. So, you know, I started really training. Then when I started training, I went up to Pine Hill and I talked to Sandman and letting me wrestle JT, which, like I said at the press conference, uh, in my in my day, I had to be good at what I did to, to wrestle Ric Flair and sell out all these places. Not only good wrestling, but the m- promoters had to think that I was, uh, you know, that I was. Uh, uh, what am I looking for, Joel? Here, that that I could draw them a card too. You understand? Yeah. yeah. You know, the bottom line is the key here is that Buddy Landell is a marketable item. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah I just wanted you to say it. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so I talked, Jay, I, you know, I went in there, I started training, <clears throat> I started doing the things, I went back, just like Rocky, man, I went back to, you know, where, where I started at, man, I've, I've started training, as a matter of fact, when your guy called me a minute ago, John, I was outside jumping a rope, if you could believe that, Buddy Landell working out, wow. <laughs> but anyway, I, I've been working out, and I went up there, and I felt all the confidence in the world, that, and, and I beat JT, I beat him right in the middle of the ring with a figure four, and then, <clears throat> you know, you got to realize that, you know, I'm not stupid, I, I know that that Buddy Rogers is a multi-millionaire. He saved his money. He's held, he's held every title in the world. Uh, was the greatest U.S. champion ever. The only man to ever hold the WWF and the NWA World Heavyweight title at the same time, which will probably never be done again. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, hey, you know, I wrestled Flair. And, and I want everybody to realize right now that Ric Flair, Joe, do you want me to tell, you want me to sing him that poem I t- told you? Yeah, do it. I love it. I love it. Okay. John, hey, John, this is going to be a first for your radio station. Okay. John, this is great. This is going to be a first. <laughs> I, uh, I write poems and songs and stuff like that for my children. And, you know, I was just sitting back thinking, you know, when Ric Flair first started in wrestling, he came from Minnesota. He wanted to be, he wanted to be a cowboy. He wanted to be a cowboy. He told George Scott, he said, man, I want to be a cowboy. He met George Scott and bleached his hair, and everywhere he went, people would stare. Well, Buddy Rogers couldn't believe that the little fat boy had the audacity to steal his gimmick and make it to the top. Flair met Landell and got his bubble popped. <laughs> there, you like that? Now, there's the debut, John. <laughs> no, listen, I'm not going to give up my daytime job. I mean, Axl Rose has got nothing to worry about. But uh, I just want everybody to know that Buddy Rogers came to Charlotte, North Carolina, and give Ric Flair the name Nature Boy Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Nature Boy Ric Flair was on a downside of his career in 1983 and 1984. Charlotte was on its nose. I had bleached my hair, uh, and, and I had been wrestling uh, as this Buddy Landell in Puerto Rico and in, with, in, in 1984 with Bill Watts in Louisiana. Rick Flair came to Puerto Rico to check me out. Of course, I've known Rick since I got into business, and even when I had dark hair. Rick Flair came to uh, Louisiana and offered me to wrestle him Nature Boy, Boy versus Nature Boy. He gave me the name Nature Boy, so it's nothing that I st- He didn't steal it. And I didn't steal it, and it was handed down from Buddy. And this is what's what makes it. This is what makes it great. You know, there's only been three Nature Boys. We're all just, you know, basically just alike. We wrestle just alike, all three of us. And it's just, a, you know. So anyway, getting back, <clears throat> you know, I didn't get where I was at by being stupid. So what I did was I was thinking to myself, Buddy Rogers is here. I'm here. I just won this heavyweight belt, TWA heavyweight belt. So what I did was I went to the ring and I thought, well. You know, Buddy's got no—he's got no uh, no reason to come out of retirement to wrestle me. I mean, what have I got? I mean, besides the TWA title, I mean, you know what I mean? I, I, all, you know, the TWA means a lot, but I mean, Buddy Rogers 
financially, he don't have any reason to come out of retirement. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if I insult him, get him riled up, and bust him upside the head or something, you know, then maybe I might be able to coax him out of retirement. And that's exactly what I did. So, you know, I'm pretty smart as far as that goes. And, yes, he has the right and left hand of Mike Tyson, make no mistakes about it, at 70 years old. I mean, he tagged me pretty good. But, you know, I rolled out of the ring because why give the people what I can show them the 25th in Pine Hill, New Jersey, you know? So what I did was I coached him into the fight. And this is the greatest thing of my life. I mean, this this is even greater than fighting nature boy Ric Flair. Well, I think, buddy, uh, that uh, this match between you two is going to generate uh, international press and it's going to be just a classic, classic encounter uh, between uh, the two nature boys. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, unfortunately, did Buddy Rogers ever get uh, with us? Buddy Rogers is on the phone right now. Okay. Why don't we uh, bring on uh, the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers, and uh, we'll have him on the line with uh, both Joel and uh, Buddy Landell. Buddy, are you with us? Yes, I am. And uh, we've been uh, speaking here about the big match January 25th, and uh, you're on the line also with uh, Buddy Landell and Joel Goodhart. Gentlemen, can you hear each other? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Hello, buddy. Buddy. You wouldn't shake my hand the other day, John. <laughs> well, John, at the press conference that we had here this past Sunday, uh, when the contracts were finally signed and the stipulations for the contract were all agreed to, I kind of had asked, I was kind of hoping that Buddy Rogers and Buddy Landell would shake hands because I thought that photo would show up in many of the major magazines. And Buddy Rogers declined to shake the hand of Buddy Landell. And I think maybe at this time, Buddy might want to explain that. Well, he, um, prom he promised to shake my hand when he beats me, and I promised to shake his hand when I beat him. So, yeah, there you have it. The handshake will happen. The handshake will happen one way or the other. You know, when Buddy used to, you know, when Buddy was the champion, man, I'm going to tell you, see, I got a tape on Buddy. <clears throat> I'd never seen Buddy actually wrestle other than, you know, just magazines and stuff. And then I had got a, a tape of, of him wrestling in uh, Kaminsky Park in front of about 50 or 60,000 people, man, which ain't heard of nowadays. You got you to gotta have Luger and Sting on the corner giving away tickets. And you can't, you know, I heard a good story the other night. It's uh, the Curtis, uh, or whatever he's, uh, uh, what's the black guy's name, Lex Luger's bodyguard? Curtis Hughes. Yeah, they were in savannah georgia the other night they were standing on a on a corner trying to give away tickets and people didn't even want to take a free ticket to go inside to watch wrestling buddy rogers sold you know him and pat o'connor sold out kaminsky park you know nights and nights and nights i mean you know there was like years in a row there in st louis when they never they, they sold the building out every week Without TV, I mean, Buddy Rogers used to wrestle guys. Men were men were men. You know, nowadays we got to wrestle these guys like Lex Luger and Sting. Have got no, <clears throat> they've got no background in wrestling whatsoever. They, they just, they were in the gym, you know, one day at the right time at the right place with the promoter come in, jerking muscle heads out, making them wrestlers. And these guys ain't paid no dues. It's an honor for me to wrestle Buddy Rogers. It really is, and I'm training very hard. Well, Buddy uh, Rogers, original Nature Boy, former NWA and former WWWF champion. Buddy, uh, how do you feel going, uh, knowing that you're going to be going back into the ring uh, for the seventh decade? Are the butterflies starting to build already for you? No, my butterfly days are over. <laughs> okay. Let me explain something. Go ahead, Buddy. It seems like Buddy Landell is sort of getting a different trend of thought. Now he's praising me and telling people all the good things I've done, and those that don't know about it, well, I'm glad he told them. But 
I take it this way. I've earned my reputation. I've paid my dues, and I've done all the things wrestling ever called for. But this man stood up in front of a whole group of people in Pine Hill, New Jersey, and told them all I was a gutless wonder. Well, let me tell you something, buddy. I didn't have to come back to wrestling. There's nothing here more that I could sort of conquer or claim. I've claimed it all. But I'd like to tell you something. You brought that thing to such a heat that night that I just, I, I practically lost my cool in the middle of the ring, which I don't do. And another thing, you did sort of take a shot at me. And that's another thing people don't do, not to Buddy Rogers, and not accept a receipt for whatever he, whatever they've done. So just let me put it across to you this way. If you're losing your guts right now, by golly, I'm not. I'll be in there pitching, and I'll be in there doing my best. And like you said, may the best man win. Well, I just have one great match left in me, buddy, and I'm saving it all for you, pal. Well, you know, just like I said, John, Joel, and Buddy, <clears throat> I, I'm not stupid. I know that, that Buddy had no reason whatsoever to come back into wrestling. So like I said... One good thing about me and my character is, my God-given ability is, is to make people mad, either what I say or whatever. So, like Buddy said, I made him angry for one split second, which caused him to retaliate when I hit him. It caused him to want to come out of retirement to wrestle me. I know what, what better way to get my career back than to have Nature Boy Buddy Rogers wrestling Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Win, lose, or draw, people are going to look at me on the 25th and they're going to say, wow, Landell's trim, slim, he's tan, he's got his stuff together, look at his eyes, he's clear-headed, he's not on drugs. He's, I mean, you know, so I've got everything in the world. Even if I do lose, which I doubt very seriously, I will. I will be the beneficiary. I mean, I will be the one that will, that will come out ahead, you know? And I'm sure that I'm going to gain Buddy Rogers' respect, and I... You know, I have all the admiration and respect in, in the world for Buddy Rogers, but <clears throat> I'm, on a, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission for me and my family, and, uh, you know, I, I want to get back in wrestling what, what, uh, what I really lost myself. It wasn't taken away other than my stupidity, and I'm getting it back. And I think that uh, I proved uh, step one the other night by making Buddy Rogers blow his cool and accepting the match and uh, whether I called him gutless. However, I coaxed him into coming back into wrestling. Be that as it may, the bottom line is the 25th, they're going to see Buddy Rogers wrestling in his seventh decade, going for the TWA heavyweight belt, wrestling the other nature boy, Buddy Landell. Yeah. I don't mind being a backseat nature boy to, to uh, Buddy Rogers. People can call me a, a second cheap-rate carbon copy. It don't make any difference to me. You know, as long as I'm associated with somebody as great as Buddy Rogers, any way they want to put it, verbally, it makes no difference to me. Uh, you know, so I, I'm just happy okay, to gentlemen. have the match. I'm happy to have it to prove myself. And uh, however I got it makes no difference. Okay, gentlemen, I tell you, everybody here is going to be looking forward to that match to see the original Nature Boy Buddy Rogers take on Buddy Landell for the TWA title in Philadelphia. Of all the words of Verser Pen, the saddest are, it might have been. Wow. Very uh, prolific, Bob. Nah, it was on The Odd Couple. Oh, <laughs> was it? Yeah. Uh, Felix Unger said that to uh, Oscar at one point. <laughs> you know, you know it, that's that's kind of cool. But uh, listening back to this, and I, I remember when I was uploading it for Alex to edit, and, and 
and for you to have, obviously, to listen to. I got ex- extremely sad uh, when I heard it because it was, uh, you know, I can't say with 100% accuracy, but uh, I could almost say that this is the last pro wrestling interview that Buddy did before that match, unless Joel brought him on to promote the match closer. Uh, but Buddy died, I think it was two weeks before this match was supposed to take place, and we covered it on Pro Wrestling Spotlight on WEVD. And then uh, as people were going to li- – and you guys are going to get a kick out of this, especially you, Bob, I mean, because you go way back. Uh, after Buddy uh, passed – I was able to get Bobby Davis to come on the pro wrestling spotlight and talk about him. So we have that to look forward to, uh, in several weeks from now. Oh, I can't wait for that. Um, yeah, you know what? I got sad too listening to this and here's why not only did the match not happen, not only the tragic, probably, I I don't know, possibly preventable death of buddy Rogers. You know, there's a lot of stories about that, but you know, it's just bad that he's gone, but also Joe Goodhart's Federation didn't last all that much longer either. No. So it was all these things, listening to it, the fact that none of it came to fruition the way it should is just kind of melancholy. It really is. Yeah, it's, uh, it was. I mean, I, 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 was, I was looking forward to that show and that match. And then I was shocked when I found out that Buddy had died. I was devastated uh, because I got to know him. And um, he was one of the first real icons that I was familiar with when I first started watching uh, wrestling and reading about Buddy Rogers in the magazines and actually getting a chance to meet him, do business with him, bring him to the convention. And that's where Joel talked to him about this uh, scenario. Um, Really um, sad. But anyway, uh, a great last segment for today's uh, episode number five yeah. of our podcast and as i had spoken about on, on other editions of the show you know i had my moments with buddy rogers too i got, got to have dinner with him one night um yes he came up to the peterborough offices i took photos of him uh at an independent card he, he was a real gentleman to me uh one of the most talented people ever to ever to wrestle and uh god bless well, Bob, uh, another great episode. Uh, Alex is learning the history back there. She uh, does every every week now. Alex, you're going to be a wrestling historian before you know it. I mean, between the you know the, the shows that I watch now and then editing and, and going back and listening to all of your old shows, I'm just going to know everything there you is are. to know about this industry. Yeah, we'll have to develop a podcast for you. There we go. We got the network started now. Uh, so, yeah, and thank you, Alex, of course, and Bob. Uh, thank you. Uh, oh, I, I have to thank Alex, too. Alex is doing such a bang-up job, folks. Like, I, like we said early on, she's the glue that holds this together, and uh, yes, I'm really just happy with y'all. You're all doing a great job. We're having fun. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. We're sharing the history. We're preserving the history. And we'll be doing it again in a very special Thanksgiving weekend episode next week when uh, we play some of those lost clips and some of the hilarity of me getting the elbow by Cactus Jack. And, uh, you know, he was supposed to get engaged. I mean, it's just it's 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 hilarious with him and Paulie double teaming me. It's uh, it's incredible. I can't wait for next week's episode. Uh, But before we go today, before we wrap up this edition of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast, I want to remind everybody 
that you can join our Patreon group, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And for five bucks, you get tons of content. And if you want more, if you want video clips, if you want vintage wrestling magazines, uh, on and on and on, eight millimeter film opportunity to see those archives of mine, just go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi and look at all the tiers and just sign up for the one you think you'd like the best. Uh, also an update on uh, merchandise, uh, new designs for the podcast uh, will be available I guess by the time uh, everybody hears this show. Uh, so we will have hoodies and we will have T-shirts. And we got to talk about developing a, uh, a shirt for Alex, Bob, and myself. And uh, I'll get our crack creative team to do that. And even Marsh, who's do- doing the artwork. But Christian Theodore from Forward Merchandise in New Hampshire is our official uh, merchandise partner. So if you'd like to take a look at what's up there right now, there are several things up there but now uh the new stuff is there as well with this podcast all you got to do is go to tinyurl.com slash pws store and one really cool item that we have now is a reproduction of the original weekend of champions 1991 t-shirt it looks just like the one we had years ago so you can get that Go to tinyurl.com slash PWS store. Uh, and uh, I do want to mention uh, kind of our sister podcast. We have a second podcast that's out there now. And it's called Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. Uh, we debuted and actually it landed on number 30 on the charts. And that's kind of crazy uh, because that a podcast really goes back 50 years and covers uh, – all the shows I went to at Madison Square Garden, and we dropped those shows 50 years to the day I originally attended Madison Square Garden. So we're up to episode three. Uh, so uh, every time there was a garden show over the next four or five years, if I last that long, uh, we'll have a podcast that just talks about uh, the 50 years at Madison Square Garden. I do that show with Tim Putre. And Richie Garcia, who actually drove the Sheik around uh, after they met him at the Weekend of Champions convention. They wound up going on the road with him every time he was in town. And they got some pretty cool stories. We'll have to bring them on one uh, time to talk about it. So don't forget the uh, Thanksgiving special next weekend. Uh, And I'm going to wrap it up for today. I want to thank our producer and our editor, Alex Robertson, the co-host of Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Bob Smith, and uh, you could follow all of us on social media. Uh, Alex is very easy because it's at She's A Rob. And Bob, I keep forgetting yours because it's a little convoluted to one of you. Oh, you know, know it's it's my old record label. It's Bob yes. under slash Bahumba, I think. Bahumba. Yes. There that was go. that was my original record label. Hey, they played me on the radio. There you go. <laughs> hey, and listen, everybody, don't forget. Uh, review or rate this show on Apple. Give it five stars. That really helps us uh, with the show. We appreciate everybody's support. Until next week when we share more history with you, this is John Arezzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.